This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Stan and Pete's Bookshop. Stan and Pete's Bookshop, where our motto is, Stinking in the basement is okay if you have the right book. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Listener Recommendation Week on Pod Cemetery with 1974's Bad Ronald and 2017's The Evil Within. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. What is the name of the ancient horned demonic spirit who punishes those who have lost the Christmas spirit? Krampus. Yes. All right, Kelsey, this question is about the movie we're about to watch, and it's going to segue into a fun piece of trivia that there's no way you know, and I have no way to frame without giving it away. Bad Ronald has an alter ego, the ruler of Atranta, his fictional world. What is that alter ego's name? Oh, I have no idea. I don't remember at all. At one point he shouts, I am Prince Norbert, ruler of Atranta. Uh, The reason I bring that up is because in Game of Thrones, there is a character called Lord Norbert Vance. Vance being the last name of the guy who wrote the novel that Bad Ronald is based on. Oh, it's based on a book? Of the same name by John Holbrook Vance. George R.R. Martin named a character Lord Norbert Vance. Norbert being Ronald's alter ego in the story. How funny. Of House Vance of Atranta. Really? Yes. And one of his, like, four or five kids or whatever, Norbert Vance, his oldest kid is Sir Ronald the Bad. Nice. Yes. So there is a reference. There's a reference to the book that this movie is based on in A Song of Ice and Fire. How funny. Yeah. Isn't that cool? So let's get right into it. Bad Ronald from 1974. Who recommended this one, Kelsey? Cruel One on Twitter. And I think her name is Linda. Thank you very much, Linda. Really appreciate it. This movie is a movie of the week. It's a television movie from 1974, based on the novel by Jack Vance, John Holbrook Vance, and with a screenplay by Andrew Peter Marin, and directed by Buzz Kulik, who also directed another famous made-for-TV movie from 1971, which is beloved by everyone's dad, Brian's song. I don't Do you have know. no idea what Brian's song I've is? I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. It's a football movie where a black guy and a white guy, they're good friends, and one of them has, like, cancer or something. Mm. Yeah, so. <laughs> anyway, starring Pippa Scott, Dabney Coleman, and Matthew Modine is, I'm sorry, sorry, hold on. <laughs> 
Scott Jacoby as Bad Ronald. Who looks just like Matthew Modine. And would have been, like, Matthew Modine would have been, like, something like 14 or something like that when this movie came out. So maybe a little too young. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But he looked just like him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you see this guy and you're like, that's not Matthew Modine? You're fucking with me. <laughs> like, nope. It's just some dude called Scott Jacoby. <laughs> uh, what is Bad Ronald about? A teen who, for some reason, is hated by some people. Because he's a weirdo. Yeah, but like they don't—they don't give you any insight no. into why they think that. We're just all of a sudden told he's a weirdo. Accidentally kills somebody. Uh, accidentally, it was manslaughter. It was definitely manslaughter. Uh -huh. It's still an accident. I don't think he did it with the intent to murder her. <laughs> no, he did intend to hurt her, though. Yes. And it was reckless of him, which makes it manslaughter. Yes, but anyway, he decides to go into hiding, and the, the house that he's in hiding in gets spot by another family. <laughs> without telling you just the entire movie. Yeah, well, I mean, that's... Really, you talk about the premise of this movie, and that is the entire thing. <laughs> it is not available... Anywhere, nowhere, not even on YouTube, download that shiz. You have to get it illegally. There is no way to watch it legally, and there is no way to watch it on uh, on any other sort of, like, streaming service, like a YouTube or something like that, where it might have been uploaded illegally. So, if you want to watch it, you got to download that shiz. Should people watch Bad Ronald? There's no need to. There's no reason to. I mean, as an oddity, it's not long. It felt long. It's really boring. It is. It gets super, super boring. It's like an hour and 15 minutes or something like that. It's really not that long. I mean, you got to think it was two hours, including commercials back then. So I think it'd be an hour and a half, but no, it's like an hour and 15 minutes. The acting is bad. The The story is fine. I mean, here's what I wrote. If you want to know my non-spoilery summary, this is the last note that I wrote for this movie. I wrote, I mean, for a low-stakes TV movie, it's not bad. It just kind of dot, dot, dot is. It just exists. It just exists. Mm -hmm. I hope... That we have not disappointed you, Linda. Uh -huh. It's remarkable that this was aired on television. Not because it's like garbage or something like that, but it's a weird concept. Like, really weird. It's just a creepy movie. I guess. This should have been paired with The Boy. The Boy, yes. Would have been a good pairing. But instead, we paired The Boy with Child's Play, right? No. We did it with... The Puppet Master. Right. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yes, but this really should have been the one that was paired with... <laughs> spoilers for the boy, I guess. I would definitely... Yeah, this, this definitely would have made me think of the boy. Well, I mean, so... If you got a free hour and 15 minutes and you got nothing better to do, it's not offensive, it, you're not going to hate it, but, I mean, it's not going to thrill you at all, either. No, it's boring. Yeah. So you can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1974's 
Bad Ronald. After an accidental murder, Ronald, a lonely and unpopular boy, takes refuge in a fantasy world. All will be for nothing if we don't heed the rules. Today I begin joining Princess Fancetta. She's the ruler of Enchanta. An existence that becomes inescapable and deadly. Starring Kim Hunter, Dabney Coleman, and Scott Jacoby in a compelling thriller. Bad Ronald. Okay, Kelsey, get us started. How does Bad Ronald begin? We open on a birthday celebration for Ronald. Just him and his mom. His mother, who's very sick. And she's not, like, she might be a little, like, overbearing, but, like, she's not a bitch or anything. No, she's just... Like a helicopter parent, basically. Yeah, but, like, nothing nothing about this woman screams psycho. But she's also, she talks about how she had agreed to not take alimony from her ex-husband in exchange for 100% custody over her son. Yeah, so she's a little overbearing and obsessive, but she's not a horrible person. We just don't know what the story is there, is my point. True. But anyway, we find out very quickly she's very sickly. Uh, and her plan is to have her son become a doctor. Right. And when he's a doctor, then he'll be able to cure her because I don't think she can afford to go to the doctor right now. Yeah. Yay, America. <laughs> it's pretty funny because he'll say... No, dinner was delicious, and you know how much I love chocolate cake. Was cake your dinner? Yeah. <laughs> is that all you ate? Maybe. They're weird. I guess, yeah. But yeah, I think this is where we find out that, yeah, he's a senior in high school and he's concerned about his mother because he's like, it's going to take me 10 years to become a doctor. But she says it's worth the wait. She gives him his birthday present, which is... Art supplies? A tool set. Oh, tool set. Which is going to be very important to this plot. She gives him the finest tool sets. Got right. everything. Yes, she said the man at the store told me it was the best or whatever. Yes. But then as an additional gift, she gives him nice colored pencils or something yeah. so that he can illustrate his story. Now, see, this is kind of why I'm saying she's not a great, maybe she's not a great mom, but like she very quickly says, now don't. Take up all your time with that sci-fi fantasy nonsense. But, like, she still gives it to him. Yeah, so she's supportive. Yeah. And then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's going to be like, I'm out of here. Yep, peace, mom. Yeah, and she's just like, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going to go see some chick. And she shouts at him as he leaves, don't waste your time on people who don't care about you. Yes. You shouldn't waste your time with someone who doesn't care. Which is good advice. But you have the feeling that she's that sort of parent who thinks that she's the only woman who cares about him. Possibly, but we're about to see that she's not wrong. No, I mean, that could possibly and... Possibly, I guess, but... The fact that she doesn't, like, get mad and she doesn't, like, bar him from Yeah, leaving. she lets him go. Yeah. She's just trying to give him advice. Yeah. They're all gonna laugh at you. Yeah. <laughs> He's gonna laugh at you. No, They're all gonna no, laugh at you. Laugh at me. They're all gonna laugh at you. Oh, Mom, who is? They're all gonna laugh at you. Mom, you're so paranoid. No! He goes over to this girl's house where, like, all these people are swimming. So it's it's the girl he likes, 
her brother and either her friend or her brother's girlfriend, one of the two. Okay. Yeah, and then there's some other dude, which I guess is like his friend or something like that. So there's like four people in the pool right now. But he just walks in. Well, uh, he the, the oh, mom lets him in. But like, they're in the middle of swimming. Uh-huh. And he just awkwardly keeps following her around, even though she's not even giving him the time of day. And he asks her to go to the movies, and she's like, no, I'm doing something else right now. This is a trend we will see in both of these movies. But it's of just our like, main character getting shot down by the pretty girl that he likes. Yeah, but it's just like, is he not intelligent? I don't understand why he's not picking up on these signals. I think he might be socially awkward. But like... It doesn't take much for him to descend making, into madness later. Right, but they're like making fun of him to his face. They're oh, splashing yeah. uh-huh. him with water and he just doesn't seem it's to care. It's the 70s. So as he's leaving their house, he sees who will apparently be their younger sister mm-hmm. on a bike. And she's like, wow, I can't believe you got all dressed up to come and see my sister. You know, she only likes football players. And besides, you're weird. And And your mom's weird. And she just, like, tears into him. Right. At first, he's just going to keep walking. Like, Uh he just doesn't give a shit. But then she turns and she's like, and your mom's weird, too. (laughs) And that takes, like, just pushes him over the edge. Well, you should know she only likes football players. And besides, you're weird, Ronald. I am not weird. Yes, you are. And so is your mother. I want you to say you're sorry. And so he gets aggressive. He grabs her. He shakes, don't you ever say that. Take that back or whatever. And she's getting upset. She's not taking it back. She's like, let go of me. And he just tosses her down to the ground where the back of her head hits a cinder block. Yes. And if you look it up, Adam Carolla talks about this movie. Yes, this is, it's very famous for being talked on uh, Love Line and other such shows. <laughs> but so Adam Carolla will say it's weird that she dies here. It's totally possible. No, yeah, it's totally possible. But that yeah, did sort of happen a lot. People falling down and accidentally hitting their heads and then just dead. <laughs> but so he like he picks her up. And he's like, are you fooling? Why aren't you fooling? I'm sorry. (laughs) Why aren't you fooling? Yes. This is all just sort of like happening is what I wrote down. Like just thing just happens, then just happens, then just like we're five minutes into this fucking movie and this girl's already dead. TV movie. Yep. Had to get through it fast. (laughs) And then so he doesn't come home. He drags her away. We don't see what happens. He doesn't come home until like nighttime. Like it's dark out. He's covered in dirt. And like the first thing he does is admit to his mom exactly what happened. Yeah. Because he just has that relationship with his mom. Yeah. And she's like, well, where have you been all this time? I had to bury her. Why did you bury her? Yeah, she's like, wait a minute. If it was an accident, why did you bury the body? And he's just like, I don't know. <laughs> she's like, well, that was a huge mistake, Ronald. <laughs> well, now they know. I mean, now uh, they're going to think it wasn't a mistake. Yes, exactly. So. She goes immediately into mommy protect mode. I love her response to so many times I've warned you about those girls. If only you would listen to me. <laughs> and then she, it's so funny. She's like, even if you were acquitted, you could never be a doctor. Yep. <laughs> so we might as well hide you. Yeah, so they they put some drywall up over a 
bathroom. And this is why his tools come in handy. Yes. They're able to do this overnight super fast. And he basically can travel from there to this extra sort of room that they have that he enters from the bottom of a closet. The and pantry. It, yeah, it, uh, the, the pantry. You're right. And But it wraps around underneath the stairs into the bathroom that they're just going to cover up. So there is no – It's well, they'll comment on it later. It's like a three- or four-bedroom house, and there's only one bathroom now. Which, all you need is the plans of the house. Right. <laughs> like, you just go to City Hall and get the blueprints. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, which you would need to do if you were going to install a bathroom. Right. But, I mean, they kind of – You never of- get that far. Yeah, they don't get that far. I mean, she kind of, they show us that she does have the plan, so maybe they would have eventually figured it out. Yeah, uh-huh. But anyway, did you notice a strange quirk that he has, that he does a lot throughout the film when he's feeling anxiety? What's that? So kind of like a rat, he gnaws on things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, there's a scene later that I'm like, he's just nibbling on some chocolate. Yeah. We'll get to that. But he'll do it here first, where he gnaws on an apple when she's talking about what they're going to have to do. It's a fun little character business. I suppose so. And it's consistent, so it's obviously a choice that they made. I just always found it funny that he did it with things that would crumble. That's why I bring it up. Oh, weird. (laughs) She instructs him on everything he needs to know to live inside the crawl space effectively. They assume it will take a few months. Yes, and he's going to need to do his exercises and his studies, and he diligently says, yes, mother, and he does, and he has art supplies so he can draw. There's butcher paper. There's the art supplies he got from his mom for his birthday. He's basically, it's like the Harry Potter penthouse that he has, and it's not so bad, actually, and then the police come by. Yeah, they will find a planted jacket with a note. Yeah, I wrote down, she saw the tear in his jacket. Why wouldn't she get rid of it? And then I said, oh, the jacket and the note inside were planned. I I had no idea until they mentioned it afterwards. But yes, there's a note inside that says, I'm sorry, mother, I didn't mean to. They weren't trying to hide the fact that he did it, just that she didn't know where he was. Well, because she said when they decided to put him into their secret room, uh huh, she specifically said they're going to catch you. Yeah, like <laughs> she's basically like, you did a real shitty job, and I'm positive they're gonna they're gonna find you. Yes. <laughs> um, and the whole time he's just nibbling on some chocolate, and he just seems curious about the police in his house. Like he he doesn't seem worried at all. He just kind of. Disagree. I think that's supposed to show his anxiety. It's I mean, just an I, easy way for the audience to understand that. Yeah, maybe, but he just seemed like to casually nibble on the chocolate. He wasn't looking from left to right. He just seemed kind of calm, composed. Like, huh, I wonder what the cops are talking about. That's the impression that I got. So it's it's interesting that we got like two different impressions here, but I could totally understand why you came to that conclusion. And then the cops end up leaving. Because she convinces them that she has no idea where he is. She's like, oh, yeah, that was a fantastic note. And yada, it all worked. We're like, oh, that was all planned. I was very, I was legitimately surprised by that. (laughs) 
they will figure out very quickly that their neighbor has been spying on them. Oh my god, I want a gif of every one of Mrs. <laughs> Schumacher's faces that she makes. They are incredible. They're like every nosy neighbor from the 50s in a sitcom. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. I love it. If you follow us on Twitter, I'm definitely posting it. <laughs> but yeah, he is... Doing well in his new home. Yep. He's working out a lot. He's getting better at it. Uh-huh. He's keeping up with his studies. Yep. But the cops are still wondering. They keep coming back. It's like your son just vanished. What happened? Yeah. And they just don't trust that he's gone. I love the mother's response here. I hope he lives a good life. <laughs> well, wherever he is, I, I hope he lives a good life. Make up for what's happened. Uh, that's a noble sentiment, ma'am. And they tell her, you'd be an accessory if we caught you helping him. And she's like, I know. Then we're going to find out that the mom, remember, she's sick and needs to have an operation on her gallbladder. So she goes to get that done. He knows that she's going to be gone for a while. A week. And before she can come back, two strangers come into the house. Well, but here's the weird part. She doesn't even seem really concerned about the fact that this could go badly. And yeah. you would think that she'd be a little more worried. She preps him for the amount of time by giving him a bunch of cans and stuff like that. Yes, like powdered milk, which oh, he does yeah, not enjoy. Uh -huh. But yeah, so she dies. Uh, he finds out because uh, some woman and Piglet shows up to to inspect the house because they're going to sell it. They're real estate agents. Mm -hmm. Or they work for her estate or something like that. Yes, the voice of Piglet, John Fielder, is one of them. They didn't stand on space in those days. Just look at those ceilings. He's also juror number two from 12 Angry Men. We keep We should just watch at least one movie of each person in 12 Angry Men. I think we, <laughs> we're, we're pretty far along at this point now, I think. <laughs> but this is how he overhears that his mom has passed away. And that they're going to sell the house. So in the meantime, what does he do? So it's time to get to work on this house yep. to make sure that he has ways of getting around when uh, the new people move in. Which is why I say that this could have been with the boy very well. He's yeah. going to be living inside the walls. Just like in the people under the stairs as well. Yeah. Yes. And he'll cut a hole in the floor so he can get under the house. He'll cut a hole in the ornate designed wood that leads to under the house and put some hinges on it so he can get in and out, inside and outside, not just into the house, but also outside onto the property. He'll drill a lot of peepholes. It's like, how do you think these peepholes aren't going to be seen? Yeah, exactly. I wondered about that, too, when you did it. I was like, that's going to be obvious, and they're going to cover it up. And at first, Piglet brings in this one woman, Pippa Scott, who is the mother of this household that's going to buy the house. And then she brings her husband and her three daughters into the house, and they discuss whether or not they actually want to buy this house. Yes, it's a fixer-upper, but the price is right. It is another gorgeous Victorian home. Sure, but it's kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> well, I want... Uh, oh, I would have loved this home. But she yeah. says it as well. She says, I've never seen a house with so much character. Oh, yeah, it has a lot of character, but it's run down. Well, yeah, they didn't take good care of it, yeah. but that can all be cleaned and fixed. 
the husband, Mr. Wood, is Dabney Coleman, who is the boss from nine to five. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And she immediately comments on the fact that there's only one bathroom and that she's going to want to install a new one. And he's like, yeah, sure, you can do that. <laughs> which, which you think is going to be a problem, but it's not. No, they it's, don't just, get it's just an excuse to get them in there and explain the fact that there's an entire bathroom missing. But while he's watching them have this conversation, he gets to look at the three daughters who he falls in love with instantly. The youngest the one. Youngest. The youngest one who is the worst actress by far. Well, she's asked to do the most. Yeah. By being the only one who thinks the place is creepy and doesn't want to live there. So, yes, she thinks the house is very creepy. And they, her other sisters kind of make fun of her for thinking, like, there's a ghost here. But she's literally scared. But, yeah, Ronald thinks she's as beautiful as a princess. And extremely quickly after they have moved in, the eldest daughter is now dating the brother of the chick that he murdered. Yes. So when he's having dinner there for the first time, he's like, I didn't ever think I'd be having dinner here. They're like, why do you say that? Oh, the guy who used to live here killed my little sister. (laughs) They're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just like. None of this feels Mm -hmm. believable. But this whole time, he's losing it more and more. There's doodles on the wall that are a little try-hardy. Like, it's one, three, two, scratched out. No, it's two, three. Like, he's going insane. Ah! (laughs) He ends up drawing pictures, full-size portraits of characters, including this boy, who he hates, who he thinks is like, the evil character in in the world of Atranta, the girl he likes, uh, Babs, the youngest daughter, who is the princess, and then he is the prince of Atranta. Norbert. Prince Norbert. The brother will explain that Ronald has never been found. Yeah. And that gets them very spooked. Uh, But yes, I, I too agreed that it was a bit too obvious, especially since it's the Writing on the wall. Uh, (laughs) She's way too proud of that, people. (laughs) One day when everybody's gone, Ronald's running around the house because he can. Well, he's getting things out of the fridge. You're going to hear commentary throughout of like the girls getting upset at each other for you tried to break into my diary. Diary. Oh, you ate this this egg. You know, and yeah, and so, but it's really Ronald who's doing all this. But while he's doing this, the neighbor will see him. Mrs. Schumacher, and he doesn't even have to kill her. Nope. She just freaks out and falls down the stairs and breaks her own neck. We assume she had a heart attack or something? No, I think she broke her neck. Either way, like, there is zero evidence that a crime was committed because a crime was committed. He could have just left her there. Yeah, he could have left her there. But no... He drags her under one of the two houses. I can't remember if it was his or hers. And leaves her there. She never comes back. It's just one less thing for the movie to worry about. And we 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 lose out on her strange faces for the rest of the movie. <laughs> so I have written down here. Why not just leave her? Stop moving dead bodies, Ronald. Right? Learn lessons. 
Learn from your mistakes. The youngest sister is telling everyone that she's hearing noises in the house. Uh-huh. Nobody believes her. Everybody's like, I don't hear anything. You're crazy. And she goes, why am I the only one who hears anything? And somebody, one of her sisters says to her, because you're the only one who believes in it. Mm-hmm. Which might be telling us they might be hearing these noises. They just disregard it. They mm-hmm. rationalize it exactly like uh-huh. I would. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. As, listen, you don't think that there's some place in my mind where when I hear the ceiling creak or whatever, there is a stranger, an escaped convict living in our attic or whatever. And like part of my brain is like, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. But there are too many things that prove that wrong. So one day when Babs is going to be home alone... Because the parents are going away for the weekend. Yeah, so it's just going to be the three girls watching over themselves. One of the sisters at her friend Judy's. I don't know where the other sister is. Probably out with the brother. He sets up this drawing that he did of of Babs, like, in her room. And then she comes in and she's like, what the fuck is this? And he closes the door behind her and he's there. Yeah. And he's like, that's you. You're the princess of Atranta. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're my And she freaks out. And she screams she was right the entire time. Yes. And she runs. Runs, and she runs next door. Across, or yeah, next door to Mrs. Schumacher's house, who is not there, obviously. She ain't there. Until she has nowhere to go and she ends up running down into the basement trying to run away from Ronald. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, well, I know there's no way out of the basement and I know Mrs. Schumacher's never going to come back. So he just locks her in the basement. Yeah. And leaves her there. Yep. And then goes back home. (laughs) Yeah. And so the girls are like, the the, two older sisters and the brother that he hates. Well, hold on. Because before the sisters come home, he will, out of his, out of anger and frustration, he will tear up his own picture. Yes, that he made of her. Did you see what was underneath the picture? I don't know, probably posters of unicorns, what? It's a giant poster of a cat face. Oh, yes, I do remember (laughs) that. cat face. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, the sisters end up coming back home and... Babs is gone, so they call the police. Oh, but also, do you remember what Babs sees in this cellar basement place? Yeah, okay, I wrote down, Mrs. Schumacher's got some weird shit in her basement. Unless Ronald's been doing it, There's like, like for funsies. There's, like, these dirty, old, naked dolls and shit that hanging are hung from, from the, the ceiling. ceiling. It's so weird. Yeah. No comment on this at None. all. None. <laughs> so anyway, the girls come home. They realize the sister's gone. They call the cops. The cops show up and they're like, oh, it's really weird. She wouldn't, she she stood up a date with Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Jimmy Carter wouldn't be our president until two years later. But also, what do the cops find? A strikingly similar note to the one that they found <laughs> in Ronald's jacket earlier <laughs> that says that she also ran away because no one would believe her that the place was creepy. Yes. And they're like, that doesn't make any damn sense. Yes. I'm telling you, she stood up Jimmy Carter. <laughs> and at this point, Ronald decides to kill Dwayne, the brother of yes. the sister that he already killed. So the girls 
are going to go get food. And he's going to stay there and watch the place in case she comes home. He likes his hamburgers uh, rare. Yes. I appreciate it. <laughs> so when he's there, Ronald comes out, walks up behind him, and grabs grabs like a candlestick or something, wraps it in like a shirt or his jacket, and just like hits him with it and pulls him <laughs> over the couch and then like... Yeah, it's so funny because he wraps it in a, in a towel thing or a jacket or something and you think that's oh he wants to make sure it doesn't get covered in blood yeah he, i guess but he pulls the guy over and like breaks things yes uh-huh. <laughs> he makes a like a, a big mess showing that a crime has been committed ronald is no good at being a criminal yes. <laughs> so the two older sisters are gonna come home and find out that Dwayne is his name that Dwayne is not there. Meanwhile, while they're going like, okay, now our sister's gone. Now Dwayne's gone. What the fuck is happening? Meanwhile, Babs across the street in the basement isn't a goddamn idiot and realizes basements are a little weird. They're, they're backwards doors. So if you think about normal rooms, doors open into the room, right? And you lock them from the inside. So... The hinges are on the same side of the door as the lock is. So the door opens into the basement, but the lock's on the outside, which means even though she's locked in the room and she's not on the side of the door that has the lock on it, she is on the side that has the hinges on it. And she starts banging the pins in the hinge out so she can just remove the door off the hinges, even though it's locked. So if you're ever in a similar situation, go ahead and do that. People, now you know. Now you know. So she's finding a way out. Just as the older sisters are looking around the house, and one of them notices, what is this weird thing in the wall? It's like a hole in the wall underneath this painting or this mirror or whatever's on the wall. shines through it or something. Yeah, yes, and she sees the light shining. Because normally he puts plugs in them, so no mm-hmm. light passes through, mm-hmm. and he didn't this time. So she sees the light cast on another side of the room and follows it and sees this hole. And of course... Exactly what you're expecting, an eye appears there. Just like in What Lies Beneath. And when she freaks out, he comes crashing through the very simple drywall from the bathroom, which is where this this peephole was. And he's gone absolutely bonkers. And he's flailing around after them. They're losing their goddamn minds (laughs) and he runs outside and falls down the steps just as screaming mother there's tons of cops out there the detective comes from next door where babs was and brings her over that's how they were all ready for him as he comes out of the house because they were about to go inside just as he comes barreling out and falling down and then they arrest him and then end of movie yes it is over with. Yes. Not a lot happens in this movie. Exactly. It's incredibly interesting. But not a lot happens. Yeah, and the two murders are kids, man. It's kind of fucked Brother up. and sister. Yeah, huh? Man, this family is so fucked. And I love that the older sister never has anything happen to her. Oh, from the other family. From the yes. other family. Yeah, uh-huh. So anyway, that's that's bad Ronald. Do you have anything else to say about the movie? Nope. I mean, going back to my original note, it for a low-stakes TV movie, it isn't bad. It's it fine. just is. Yes, it is. It exists. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 
There are five reviews, so you know it's going to be a multiple of 20. 40? 60. Huh. Not enough reviews for a consensus statement. No Metacritic. No CinemaScore, obviously, because it wasn't in cinemas. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? Overrated. Really? Yeah. You think 60 is overrated, huh? Yeah. What would you give it? I'll give it a 55. Yeah, okay, so it's not that bad. Still overrated. I would probably say a 60. I think 60 is a good score for it. Honestly, the only reason I'm not dropping it down to 50 is mostly the mom's performance. Yeah, I liked her. Yeah, I kind of love how crazy she seems. I mean... But not like a bitch. Like, I kind of love that she's just a crazy person. <laughs> there's, like, no fat in this movie, which I appreciated. It just moves briskly along. But um, nothing happens. Yeah, kinda. You're watching nothing happening briskly. Yeah, but it had my attention the whole time. It's okay. I just liked the moms. The mom seemed quirky. I kind of liked her. But yeah. the rest of the film, I I mean, like, it's not bad. Like, there's nothing about this movie that I'm like, oh my god, this movie is awful. But, like, there's nothing good about it. Yeah. I'm not going to tell anybody to see it. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, Linda. Don't hate us, please. And it wasn't bad enough that it was funny, either. It's fascinating, though, that this was a movie with such a weird premise on television, on ABC, <laughs> on their weekly matinee or whatever. Like, it's a little weird thinking about it that way. And how there's an entire portion of our culture that just knows this movie, and the rest has no idea it existed. Well, movies like that. I don't think there are. Not anymore. Well, there, I mean... That portion of society, I guess, is starting to go away, yeah. <laughs> but they still they still exist. <laughs> yes, yeah, totally. All right, that is 1974's Bad Ronald. Before we get into our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. What was the profession of the main heroine in the 1981 werewolf film, The Howling? Okay, I got to go back to The Howling. Uh, okay, so she went on this retreat. Where everyone was a werewolf. <laughs> I don't remember what she did for a living. Really? Was she a writer or a doctor? What was she? Think about why she got involved in it in the very beginning. Any memories why this person wanted to meet her in the first place? No. She's a TV news reporter. Okay. And he was obsessed with her. Yes. Okay. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing The Howling again. No point. We got to see the second one. We got to forge forth. Yes, we, we do have to keep going forward. Never look back. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Michael Berryman, an actor in The Evil Within, is also famously spotlighted on the poster of what Wes Craven horror film? The Hills Have Eyes. That is correct. He is the demon in this movie, The Evil Within. Yes. From 2017, recommended to us by our buddy Bob. So thank you, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Yes, thank you, Bob. It's really <laughs> interesting, the reactions that we had to this. <laughs> the Evil Within, written and directed by Andrew Getty, starring Sean Patrick Flannery, Dina Meyer, Frederick Kohler, and Michael Berryman. Sean Patrick Flannery, of course, was Powder from Powder. 
And okay, he was no. Connor from the Boondock Saints. Yes, Boondock Saints yes. is what people know him from. Don't be a dick. You don't know him from Powder. You don't know him from Powder because he wasn't famous yet when Powder <laughs> happened. But everyone knows Powder. Well, okay, I sh- I should be careful with that. Not everyone knows Powder. <laughs> But it's it's easy for a laugh for like if you want like a sort of instant in joke that certain people will absolutely laugh at and everyone else would have no idea what you're talking about. Kind of like Bad Ronald. Powder. Absolutely. Um, Wasn't he like electricity or something? He had electrical powers, yes. They were like static electrical powers. Yes. Anyway. The director and writer, Andrew Getty, started making the movie in 2002. He made a lot of it in his own mansion. (laughs) A writer, director of an indie film, owns a mansion? Yes. Why yes? Because he is the grandson of one J. Paul Getty. (laughs) You know, the founder of the Getty Oil Company. The guy that the Getty Museum is named after, he's the one in All the Money in the World. Still where his, haven't seen that. Where his grandson was kidnapped and he refused to pay the money. And Chris understands that? Oh, I understand the logic. <laughs> I'm not saying I would do that. I still remember seeing that in the trailer and just being like, why wouldn't he? He has all this money. And Chris was just like, because if he does... Then what's to stop them from asking for more? He had like 13 grandchildren. And he's like, if I say yes to this, all my other grandchildren are suddenly in danger. That was his logic. And it's not bad logic, but also he was really fucking greedy. (laughs) Anyway, anyway. So, yes, that was his cousin, the one who was kidnapped. This guy's cousin. Because they shared a grandfather. I want to see that. I still don't know what happened to him, and it's a true story. All right. (laughs) Well, so he started production on this in 2002. It took 15 years to complete. Because because he was a meth addict. And died in 2015 before he could finish editing it. And so one of the producers, Michael Lasseri, came in and helped. He wasn't the only editor, but helped, like, guide the film through the editing process uh, to completion. Getty had a hemorrhaging ulcer because of his methamphetamine addiction. So things were going on in that dude's brain. And he worked on this movie for a very long time. And it can give you insight into, like, his mental state. Because, geez, let me tell you. What is the evil within about? A mentally handicapped man lives with his brother, and his brother purchases a mirror. And in that mirror, the handicapped man finds another version of himself that asks him to do bad things. Yes. So for a little insight into that, apparently that's based on the son of Sam. Do you know anything about the Son of Sam, David Berkowitz? I know a lot about Berkowitz because I read Mindhunter, and I can tell you right now that a lot of the stuff that people quote-unquote know about him isn't actually true. Right, but what people knew about him, because he made it all up is what we know eventually, <laughs> right? And but, what- but the story that was being told at the time was that he was taking orders from a demon who was inside a dog. So a dog was telling him to kill. And this 
got Getty to be like, oh, you know, I wonder what that actually, what that interaction would be like. And then he embellished it more and more. And then he ended up with the, with the movie that we ended up getting. I'm shocked that he doesn't just admit where his actual inspiration came from. I don't remember what it was. It is clearly Mirror Mirror. And anyone who says oh, it's not Jesus. is wrong. Listen, there are a lot of movies about demons and mirrors, all right? You could say Oculus. How dare. <laughs> How dare. Oculus is great. Yes, is it is. so good. And how dare you compare it Kelsey. to Mirror Mirror. <laughs> The Evil Within is free on Tubi. It's uh, if you have a subscription to Prime Video, you can watch it there. It's two to four dollars to rent. The cheapest place for two dollars is on Amazon Prime. If you're not a Prime subscriber, uh, to buy it's six to ten dollars. The cheapest place six dollars is Google Play. Should people watch this movie? Tough one. It's a really hard question. There are parts of it that I really like, and there are parts of it that are really bad. And I, I, I mean, and it's going to be hard to talk about this movie because this movie is is mostly the good parts are visuals. So unless you care a lot about interesting visuals, I would not bother to see this movie. Here's what I wrote, my very first note, and I'm getting into this before we start a discussion of the movie because I think it's applicable. It gives you a good understanding of what you're getting into. I wrote this intro where they're at they're at the fair and they go on that haunted ride, which we'll talk about. Which was excellent. We'll talk about it. <laughs> it has a real Michelle Gondry feel to it. Michelle Gondry did Be Kind Rewind. Oh! With Eternal the Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like really fucking inventive props and sets and the way things are filmed and everything has this sort of like makeshift quality to it but like a dreamlike makeshift quality to it it's really fucking interesting now imagine if let's say michelle gondry wasn't as good as we know him to be not quite and he decided to make a horror movie with absolutely there's no love in it whatsoever michelle gondry puts a lot of love into his stuff there's always love and happiness Buried somewhere in his movies. I was going to say, I don't know. <laughs> no, there's like, a, there's like a sort of optimism, right? Even in Eternal Sunshine, that things might work out this time. Nobody thinks that. <laughs> but that optimism is inherent to it. It's just showing that they there's love there, but that right. doesn't necessarily mean that that love was withstanding. To, we're not talking about Eternal Sunshine. <laughs> mind. I'm just trying to get my point across. <laughs> this movie has no love in it. There is no love in this movie. I don't mean that people don't love each other in it. I mean, it is a dark movie that comes from a dark place and is not made to express love to the world. So think about Michelle Gondry in that way. And that's what you're getting yourself into. It is incredibly inventive, despite the hack premise. Yeah. Which is why it's really tough to say whether or not we recommend you watch this movie. If you don't mind a pretty depressing movie that's a little hateful and a little exploitative. Those are none of the reasons why I don't like it. Yeah, so 
Kelsey and I came out with exactly opposite feelings on this movie, and we'll talk about it when we get to the end. <laughs> but why why would you say don't watch it? Because you can tell, you can absolutely tell what the director cared about and what the director didn't give a fuck about. Mm-hmm. And there's or, far too much in this film that he didn't give a fuck about. And I'm like, if you didn't give a fuck, mm-hmm. why do I give a fuck? Or he fucking died. He didn't care about it. He spent... 13 no. years on and it. And there are parts that show that. Uh-huh. And then there are yeah. the parts that he's like, ah, oh, I kind of have to keep this in for my stupid story, which is the only way I can put all my visuals and monologues uh-huh. together. So I got to do this. <laughs> Here's the part with pa- Sean Patrick I Flannery that. that I wasn't actually trying with at all. Just shove that, that in. It is a very weird movie in mm. the way that like just weird shit happens. It, it has a... It has a very vague David Lynch feel to it. I say very vague because it's not like a strong sense, but people act really weird in this yes, movie. Yes, they do. In a very Lynchian way. I disagree. I think it is a lack of talent and a lack of directi- no. direction. No, I, I see. I disagree. <laughs> I think he had a very particular vision and he wanted them to act weird. And he succeeds in many ways. I guess. But I guess the call only the reason- police. I don't want to. <laughs> I guess so the only good. reason that we accept it from someone like Lynch is because he's done it so often that we know that he's doing it on purpose. But we don't know about yeah. this guy. Yeah. No. I mean that's true. But there's no way in hell that. A lot of this stuff isn't intentional. Basically, yeah. any scene between Sean Patrick Flannery and his girlfriend, you're just sitting there screaming inside yourself, like, get to the next scene. Get back to the brother. Get back to the part that the director cares about and that has made interesting and good. How dare you disrespect Dina Meyer, the the lovely and wonderful Dizzy from Starship Troopers. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. I'm not actually saying anything about their acting, uh, specifically those two. It's just that when they're on screen. It's not the story you care about. Any and all oomph that the movie has is just like. Yeah. We're talking so much abstractly (laughs) about this movie because it is a very abstract movie. We don't really have advice for you here. Uh, Like I said, it's not a pleasant film and you won't walk away happy. You might walk away dazzled or amazed. And if that seems interesting to you, then yes. But if you're not the type to like exceedingly bleak movies and weird movies where things happen for seemingly no reason, then don't watch it. And I guess that's my guidance to you. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2017's The Evil Within. A dream is a story I tell myself, right? Well, if it's a story I tell me, how can I trick myself? I control your dreams. I can handle the nightmares. You haven't yet had a nightmare. What are you hiding? Why are you lying? We have to stop the nightmares. We have to fix our brain. Oh, wow. Bad dreams, buddy? 
There's a crime in progress. When you're sleeping at night, I'm the one who whispers in your ear. All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How does The Evil Within begin? It begins with a dream sequence, which is And then kind of continues as a dream sequence, sort of, the entire movie. (laughs) Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, the character has trouble discerning between reality and his dreams. And it will become even more confusing when the movie will implicate that some of the things he sees are actually happening, and some of them are not. Yes. So it's just like, I don't know what's actually happening in this film. But You're going to have to live with that. Yes. But this is most definitely a dream sequence. Yes. And it's very well done. I agree. It starts with, there's a lot of flashes of images, just like a dream would be, and there's narration of the main actor. And This ex- is Frederick Kohler playing Dennis Peterson, our main character. Yeah, and he will explain that some dreams are stories, but some are not, right? Like, some are weird images that don't really make any sense together, and some are actual stories. And so he tells us one of an actual story of a dream that he had, where he's a little boy, and his mother is taking him to the fair. The fair is in, like, the middle of the desert, and there's nobody there. And, like, even the people who work there are miserable. But he doesn't care because he's a kid. And and if there's no crowds, that means there are no lines. And they find the haunted house ride. And it says on the marquee, it's the scariest one in the world. And the kid is just desperate to go on it, even though his mother is like, it's going to be really scary. And the guy who works there is like, are you sure you're ready? And he's like, I know, I'm ready, I'm ready. The guy who works there, by the way, being played by Michael Berryman. Yes. And he describes it as going through the darkness but that there was nothing happening inside of it. Yeah, we kind of see that, and it seems like they're in separate cars, the boy and the mom, and you know how these rides at fairs work, right? There's the open part that's exposed to everyone to see where you actually load onto the cars, and then you go around a turn and doors open up, and then you you start the ride, and we see that, and it goes into pitch black darkness until right after that, the doors open up again and they're coming around the closing turn. And that was it. The ride's over with. Yes. And they kind of like get off in silence and start to walk away. And the narration is explaining a con game. What a ripoff, you know? And so the kid turns to his mom and he's like, Mom, we got ripped off. We should go back and get our money. And he tries to say this a couple times and she finally responds with, What makes you think the ride is over? Or that it's ever going to end. And when she says this line, she takes off her sunglasses. And it's that famous picture that you've seen at some point in your life where instead of eyes, she has open mouths that are also talking. Yes. There's a character just like this in Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Hmm. With mouths for eyes? Mouths for eyes, yeah. And he's a murderer. Hmm. Interesting. But it's a very promising beginning. You see this and you're thinking, ooh, I'm going to enjoy what I'm about to see. This is really interesting and different. The narrator will then tell you that that was a dream he had when he was four. Mm -hmm. Now let me show you what dreams I have now that I'm an adult. Mm -hmm. 
we see him laying in bed, tossing and turning. He says that he is trying to fall asleep, and then he realizes he is asleep, and he's dreaming about trying to fall asleep. Have you ever had this dream? No. It's terrible. You wake up feeling like shit all day, because uh-huh. you don't feel like you slept. But while he's laying there trying to get to sleep in his dream, Michael Berryman shows up. Who they call the cadaver in the credits. Hmm. But he's the demon that's going to be basically haunting Dennis this entire movie. Yeah, and it's pretty creepy. He installs a zipper. Yeah, he flips him over on his stomach and installs a zipper from the top of the head down his back. And then unzips it and then crawls inside of his body like a person suit. Yes, very creepy. Very, very creepy. Like in Men in Black, where the bug is wearing an Egger suit. Yes. <laughs> it's a really interesting. Like, it doesn't look too realistic, but it is trippy as fuck. And it's a dream. Yeah. It doesn't need to look real. Exactly. That's the beauty of dreams. Yes. It, well, I mean, that's the thing. It doesn't look stupid. It right. doesn't look realistic, but it doesn't look stupid either. It's, he uses it's camera tricks interesting. here. And I think they work well. Yeah. And... Still in this dream, as the cadaver, which is apparently his name, he walks into some kind of, it looks like a, like a basement type thing, and he explains, the narrator explains, I'm in his world now, but then he wakes up, and he's like, wait a minute, no, I am awake, this is real, did I sleepwalk here? I don't know where here is, but then he like crawls through a door or a window or something, and he gets into his own room. And he's like, okay, I'm home, but I can't feel happy about that now because now I know that there's this room (laughs) somewhere uh attached to my house, and that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And just a very promising intro. You're very excited. And then he goes, okay, uh, now you're going to see me when I'm awake, and you're going to have to get used to the way I talk because I'm not quite as sophisticated in reality. And this is the first of many problems that this film has. Yes. Interesting that you say yes. I, I wonder if I wonder if we're agreeing about what's weird here. Okay. My problem is we just met this narrator and everything he told us, I mean, even the movie will prove to us that that's really, these are the things that he's thinking and doing, but that narrator is going to become real evil real fast. And I'm like, why... Did you set us up to trust this narrator? I don't think they they did. It's not that the narrator's lying to us. It's just that he hasn't done anything evil in this first segment. But he talks about himself as if that is who he is. But we're going to find out later that this version of himself hates the other version. You're, you're going to... This might be... I might have more of a leg to stand on than when I did when we talked about what lies beneath. But what if... There is no demon, and this is just the explanation for how crazy he is. Okay, I could buy that if he wasn't able to do crazy shit later. He full-on changes from a baby to an adult man to murder Susan. Now, oh, no, 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 if no. If you want to argue that that didn't really happen, you can try to make that argument, but that's going to make the ending of this movie not make any fucking no, sense. No, I, th- I think it's a prop. I don't think he was just fitting, I, I think his head, like you see this on, on like hidden camera shows all the time. I would ask you to rewatch these scenes because when he, I mean, there's a scene where he full on walks out mm. of a mirror. Well, but also, <laughs> also, 
again, I mean, unreliable narrator. And this is a movie where weird shit happens with no explanation. Exactly. And I'm fine with that. In my opinion, that's telling us, the audience, that this shit is real. Which is why I don't understand why the narrator talks about himself this way. I mean, I guess. I, I guess I can see the construction of how this story is being told is a little weak. Mm-hmm. At the intro. Well, I don't think it's a mm-hmm sort of weak. I don't think it's that weak. I just think that they kind of forget that this was the construction and the movie goes off on its own. And while we will get occasional narration, it that perspective dies completely shortly into the movie. And they stop using it. So then we get to see him in reality. He is sitting at a picnic with his brother, which is played by Sean Patrick Flannery. Mm -hmm. And Lydia is Sean Patrick Flannery's girlfriend. And they are sitting there at a picnic. And Dennis will say that he wants ice cream. And the movie very quickly, very clearly and succinctly lets you know that he is mentally damaged. Yes, I think we can say it right now that it's not much of a spoiler at all, is he was not, this is not a birth defect. He was injured as a child, and that affected his mental development and might have stunted it, it might have made it worse, but yes, he is brain damaged. Yeah, and it it doesn't feel like the director did enough research, I don't think. Right, not like we're experts or anything. Right, right? not at all, but I think that I think he went with the more, I want the audience to know that he's mentally challenged. I think that they could have done something different entirely. I think they could have made him socially awkward. I think they could have made him repressed. I think they could have done a lot of things without going to, oh, he has, you know, brain damage. Mm -hmm. And still have, have had it work with the plot of the movie. Mm -hmm. It feels just a little bit exploitative. Yes, I agree. But so Dennis will say that he wants ice cream and Lydia will say, I think you just want to see Susan. Mm hmm. And he gets embarrassed. and He's like, no. <laughs> Susan is the, as she puts it, outlandishly hot girl that works at the ice cream <laughs> store. And she knows Dennis. He is a regular at her store. And so she already knows that he's going to want chocolate chip cookie dough. So he gets, she gives it to him. And he's all like, oh, you know my flavor. And she's like, well, of course I do. You're my favorite customer. It's really sad what's going to happen there. Yeah. I mean, he really, really likes her. And she really likes him. But I think she treats him the way she treats him because she considers him harmless. Exactly. She sees him as... Zero threat. Yes. Which this movie is kind of fucked up because it's telling you to not it, think that way. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't. Ex it doesn't exactly avoid reinforcing harmful stereotypes. Nope. <laughs> like I said, this movie is not. It's not a movie about love. It's made from a place of hate. <laughs> So when they get home, Sean Patrick Flannery will show Dennis that he has bought a mirror, a standing mirror, which I thought was slightly reminiscent of the mirror from Mirror Mirror. Sure. <laughs> slightly. But having, yeah, having a decorative sort of gothic standing mirror is not new and it never will be. And it does feel a bit trite. Yes. It is the same mirror that... 
Dennis found himself standing in front of the night before in his dream. Yes. But for some reason, Sean Patrick Flannery, John is his name, thinks that Dennis is going to be excited about this. I don't think so. I think he just wants to try to get him excited about it because he knows he's going to hate it. Yeah. So he tries to build it up, explains why he wants this mirror in this room. And they don't get into it. But, like, there's kind of this idea that the room was specifically for Dennis. Yes. And it he held talks about it like it is. All of his stuff. And uh-huh. then slowly, Sean Patrick Flannery has been removing his stuff. And I'm like, do you not have other rooms you can put what shit in? What we find out later is he's trying to fix up the house, this mansion. Oh, that's right. In I order forgot to about that subplot. It. You know why I forgot about that subplot? Because it's brought up once. And it goes nowhere. Yep. John, Sean Patrick Flannery's goal is to fix the place up, sell it. And use the money to downgrade houses and put his brother not in a state facility, but in an assisted living facility that can take care of him. Mm-hmm. But of course, Dennis hates it. And both Lydia and John think that it's because he's just being stubborn and upset that it's in his room. And he is upset that it's in his room. And I think he has a right to be. Yeah. I, I mean, it's... Like, again, do you – well, again, you, he wants to sell it, and he's not explaining that to him. So uh, that what, makes sense. One thing that John says is like, oh, you said the same thing about such and such other thing. And his and Dennis's response is like, yeah, I just thought that was ugly. I hate this. Yes. He says, I hated it when I saw it before. And John's like, that's impossible. It, it You've never seen this You're just before. making up excuses. You're lying at this point because you just don't want it. Yeah. And, and of course, Dennis is like, you just want to get rid of my hamsters. And John's like, well, your hamsters smell bad. Uh-huh. And they do. They really do. I would never get a hamster ever again. Ugh. All those sorts of rodent-like animals, they all smell Horrible. And they don't even love you. <laughs> they could be they would be a lot happier if you just didn't exist. <laughs> okay. Sorry for all you hamster and rat and mouse and rabbit lovers. Well, rats are cool. My friend in the fifth grade had rats. I had rats growing up. Rats are cool, except they'll poop on you because they don't give a shit. No. <laughs> you also don't want to leave your clothes near their cage because they will nibble. I have I had a bunch of collars growing up that had just nibble marks all the way around the side. Because we wouldn't put our clothes away in the drawer. We just put it on top of the dresser, and then they just... Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, Dennis says, I hate the mirror, and I'm going to break it. And he goes to break it, and John will grab him. Now... I think they were trying to show us that he's harsh with Dennis, but later on, what in the else movie, are you supposed to do when a mentally challenged person is yes. going to break something? There's later, nothing else you can do. Later on in the movie, they they go through pains to make it clear that John loves Dennis and would never intentionally hurt him. So the fact that they kind of like drop these seeds. I mean, the reasons why he he wouldn't hurt him, there's more around that. But they the fact that they drop these seeds is, again, sort of like tropey sorts of things, you know, where he doesn't realize that he's being an aggressor and he's hurting somebody almost like he's hurting a child. 
and his anger's getting out of control. Like, that's never going to be a thing again for the rest of the movie. So mm-hmm. it seems weird that they would set that up, and it's so tropey. Well, because later we're going to be introduced to a stupid character, which sh- should not exist at all. It's the weirdest representation of a social worker I've ever seen. It's weird, and <laughs> it's frustrating if you come at it from a place of logic. <laughs> if you expect a plot to play out just like any other movie. But if you think of it in terms of like a David Lynch movie, I mean, people act weird in those movies. And things aren't explained by logic. Right, but I feel like this movie... And people have intense motivations and feelings. I feel like this movie is based on feelings, and I feel like the director just doesn't like social workers and had no idea of how the system actually works. Absolutely, (laughs) Especially since, I mean, we'll get into the social worker, but she comes by and threatens to take Dennis away. Because people have been saying that... John is too harsh with him, but as Chris says... And he can't take care of him, and yeah. But as Chris says, that's the only time we see uh-huh. this. And she frames the whole argument around, this is what's best for him and you, don't you? Aren't you tired of taking care of him? And all of that. And later on, she'll see John out at lunch one day, and then the next time we see her, she's coming to take Dennis away, as if something happened... And yeah. nothing happened. Yeah, and she will full on say, like, it only takes a phone call. It takes a lot more than a phone call. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from somebody who is on the other side of that process. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, not the parent side of that process, but yeah. Anyway, John ends up leaving after this scuffle, and he says, you're going to end up loving that mirror. And Dennis will yell after him. You can't tell me what I like and what I don't like. Knowing big words does not make you smart. You can't tell me what I like or don't like. With the right wood, with the the right stain, with the right motif. Using all these big words, thinking he knows everything. Knowing big words doesn't make him right. (laughs) Knowing big words doesn't even make him smart. Just makes him know big words. He's really upset and he's crying. And then all of a sudden, his mirror image will say to him, I like you. I like you a lot. So we're going to have a sort of Gollum-Smeagol dynamic going on here. Absolutely. That famous scene in Two Towers where Gollum and Smeagol, same person, have an argument with themselves. And we just see them from different camera angles. And then their facial contortions change and the way they speak changes. And that's how we know, even though we're looking at the same individual, how we know we're dealing with two different personalities here. Uh, They'll do that here, and I think this is done incredibly well for as tropey as it starts out. They do a really good job of this throughout the movie, where every time we're talking to the cadaver version of Dennis, we see him in the mirror. And he's looking a certain way, he's straight-faced, 
and he talks like we heard in the original narration. And then when we go to Dennis, he's got his body contorted. He's he, he has that sort of speech impediment speech and he talks differently. And and that's how we'll have this conversation in one body between two personalities. We'll have that throughout this movie. And that dynamic will change as the relationship between these two personalities changes. And what I think is far more impressive than that mm-hmm. is a lot of these, now not all of them, but a lot of these conversations, because we will get a lot of there them. There are a lot of them. A lot of them are purely just him standing there doing the monologue in front of a mirror, and we're literally watching him do both parts. Yeah. Just standing there in front of a mirror, not cutting, not having him do two separate monologues. No, he's literally doing one uh-huh. in that shot. And I gotta say that this actor, who I could swear I've seen before, but I can't think of what I could possibly have seen him from. So his name is Frederick Kohler. I'm not gonna say the writing is. Incredible. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's not. It's most certainly written by someone who definitely thought of themselves as having a very beautiful vocabulary. Let me put it that way. Yes. Uh, but they other- had a thesaurus out the entire time they were writing this. Absolutely. Yeah. But aside from that, the actor does a fine job, like an impressive job uh, with what he's been given. And it's a shame that he puts so much effort into a movie that hardly anyone is ever going to see. <laughs> yeah. How well do you know Mr. Mom? I mean, I like it, but I haven't seen it in a long time. He plays the character of Alex Butler in that from 1983. So probably one of the kids. Yeah. But you probably know him from American Horror Story. Which season? Yeah. This is the Roanoke season. Who was he in Roanoke? He was only in a couple of episodes. His character name was Real Lot Polk. Hmm. Okay, but that makes sense, because we loved the hell out of that season. Yeah, there are some seasons that are real bad, and then there are some seasons that are real good, and that Roanoke season was quite inventive But and most people good. hate that season. I don't know why. I don't either. I mean, probably because it deviates from the, you know, what they're used to. I guess, but we don't even like found footage stuff, and we really liked yes, this one. that was a good season. <laughs> but anyway, I thought he did a good job. What do you think? I Yeah, absolutely, I think he did a good job. That, like, the whole movie is sort of resting on his shoulders, and he's certainly not being supported by Sean Patrick Flannery at all. No. <laughs> Flannery is phoning it in, people. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's a reason his career hasn't taken off. Every, uh, Honestly, all the scenes that are just between John and Lydia are painful. They are a struggle to get through. Because yeah. it, what it feels like is... I think I said this earlier, the director puts so much heart and soul and love into all the scenes with Dennis. Yeah. And sometimes that's not great, but he does, and you can feel it. And then there's all the scenes between Flannery and Lydia, and you're like, why? Why did you include this, director, if you yourself hated it? It is, like... 
all of the gusto of this film, all the stuff that you're enjoying about it just deflates every time they're on screen. The reason that they're in this movie a lot is because we need some perspective that's not victimized and is not an aggressor, like the audience surrogate. And they're going to see things that are really weird, and they we need to have people in the story that are recognizing that and that are experiencing that. Because, you know, Dennis is not going to go out on the town by himself unless something major is happening. I understand, but you would think that they, he would have kept it to the bare minimum. Because you can even tell Sean Patrick Flannery's acting mm-hmm. improves when Dennis is on screen with him. I agree. I think what's happening here is the director, whenever Dennis was on set, he was like, I'm not doing meth today. I got to yeah. work. <laughs> but when Flannery was on set, he was like, fuck I'm this sorry. shit. I'm sorry. I didn't. That was funny. And I'm sorry to make light of somebody's drug addiction, which led to their death. But... Maybe, who knows? I feel like he was he just went and sat in his trailer during those days. <laughs> you know, I've brought this up before in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah. Gus, you gonna do any directing today? <laughs> nah, you do it. <laughs> like, that's how I feel like this went. So action, Gus, or Jesus Ben, I said I'm busy. Busy. So his mirror version of himself tells him that Lydia is trying to convince John to put him into a hospital, which is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Which is why, again, dear audience, you're led to believe that you can trust this person. Okay, you obviously know he has bad intentions, and you know he's going to manipulate, but you don't think he's just going to fall and lie, but he will. Well, yeah, but that's how manipulators manipulate is they don't just lie 100% of the time they need you to think that they're on your side and they need you to sever any other positive relationships you might have they need to pit you against everyone else in your life that's exactly what manipulators do so they end up having a long conversation where we don't get to see most of it and it ends with Dennis telling a joke to the mirror version of himself. And the mirror version says, your jokes are so funny. You tell jokes that everyone understands, which makes you a better person than your brother. And he goes, yeah, my brother tells jokes that nobody gets. But then his mirror version changes it. And he says, well, he tells jokes that you don't get. Yeah. Because they're about you. Yeah. And... He starts to, again, bring up the fact that your brother believes that you're the reason for everything that's wrong in his mm-hmm. life. You do know that, right? right? And so what we're hearing here is either or both a demon trying to manipulate Dennis or his deep-seated anxieties. And you might be thinking, well, the title tells us all, guys, the evil within. Could it be more clear? It's not clear because the film doesn't have any desire to make it clear. Right. It's not that's not its job. It's its job is to sort of, you know, postulate to put the two together and give you a sort of a, a sense of things. And if you walk away from this movie thinking, yeah, I mean, sort the the ways that we can drive ourselves insane or let our neuroses take over 
are like we're possessed, you know? And sometimes the way people lose their minds can, people like to explain it away as demons, but really it's just humanity. You can absolutely walk away with that, or you can just walk away with a completely surface level understanding of this is a demon who wants to control somebody and get out in the real world and cause damage, and it still works perfectly that way. So it's interesting. During this time is when the social worker will show up. We've already told you all about her. We don't need to revisit She's that. very bizarre. Mm-hmm. So after his encounter with that bitch... He's like, well, fuck, I need to go see a doctor myself. So he goes to see his psychiatrist. John does. And he's been seeing this guy since he was a little kid forever. We don't know why. We don't know why. But he explains, I mean, the doctor says, you can't afford me. We both know this. But he says, you know what, that's fine. We'll meet here every day during the week for lunch, and that way I can give you some therapy. However, we're going to talk about what I want to talk about. Uh Uh-huh, and not let you deflect every time I try to probe further. You're no longer paying me, so now I'm going to direct the session how I want to, which is telling us that something is going on here that we don't know about yet. Yeah, and John, there's something going on inside of him that he doesn't want to admit or talk about. But he does say that he is losing his identity, he wants to send his brother to a hospital, but he can't, etc., etc. And surprisingly, especially when you know what happens at the end, the doctor says, yeah, I think you should send him to a a hospital. And he's like, well, I can't send him to the state hospital. And the doctor's like, "Uh, why the fuck not? I volunteer there twice a week. Uh And Flannery's like, I don't want to be a dick, but like... Yeah. No. (laughs) Uh Meanwhile, Dennis is still speaking with his mirror version, who is getting around to what he really wants Mm -hmm. Dennis to do. He explains that John believes that he can't get married because he's stuck with Dennis. And we do find out that that is sort of true. A little bit. One of the reasons why he hasn't proposed to Lydia is because he knows that Lydia doesn't want to live with Dennis. Mm-hmm. And not be that she dislikes Dennis, she's perfectly happy spending time with Dennis, but she doesn't want to live with Dennis like having a, a grown child, basically. That's not what she wants her life to be right now. And you can't really blame her, and neither can John, and so he doesn't want to put her in that position. And so he just does not propose to her. So it is very true and it's because John puts Dennis's needs first and wants to put him in this facility so he can, like, r- absolve himself of that responsibility and that guilt and mm-hmm. go on continue leaving, living his life while at the same time hoping he's giving Dennis what's best for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the mirror version tells him that Lydia is convincing him that his life would be better without a mongoloid in it. Yes. It's just a matter of time until she has him convinced that his life would be a whole lot easier without a big dribbling mongoloid in it. So, when Flannery gets home, Dennis uh, confronts him and says, Do you think I'm a big dribbling mongoloid? (laughs) Where do you get these ideas, Dennis? I don't think you're that big. Dribble you do. Yeah, mongoloid you are, but big... 
Well, that's just wishful thinking, buddy. No, no I'm not a mongoloid. I was just kidding. Well, you should stop. I'm not retarded. I'm just slow. I didn't think you're that slow, buddy. No, I'm smarter than people think I am. I'm getting smarter and smarter all the time. And Flannery's like, where did any of this come from? Mm -hmm. Like, it just comes out of nowhere. But he doesn't do a whole lot to figure it out. No. (laughs) And then that night, Dennis will have another nightmare. In this one, he's in a room full of mirrors, which I thought was very cool. Mm -hmm. Thought it was well done. I mean, here's the thing. Yes, mirrors are a trope at this point. We've seen a lot of mirrors in our Uh time. Uh, We've seen a lot of halls of mirrors, and sometimes they're done well and sometimes they're not. A time when they are not done well is It Chapter (laughs) 2, which had tons and tons of money and tons of time. Okay, but... I mean, this isn't saying much, but it is one of the best parts of that movie. Yikes. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But so, but here's a movie that was done by an amateur and he could do it well. Yeah. You know? Meanwhile, inside the mirrors that he can see, he sees the cadaver who starts biting off his own fingers. Mm -hmm. Because every time he does, he gets a new, more pointed finger. And then he ends up slitting Dennis's throat with his sharp fingers. So when Dennis wakes up, his brother is there. His brother's like, whoa, were you having a nightmare, buddy? And he starts to ask his brother, a dream is a story I tell myself, right? And he goes, yeah, I guess. And he's like, but how can I be telling myself my own story? You can't tell yourself a joke. Which I don't even understand. Just like you can't tickle yourself. I don't understand at all what this conversation is trying to accomplish, Uh, but it doesn't really matter. I think this is an artifact of what the movie was supposed to be about. The movie apparently was originally called The Storyteller Mm -hmm. and was about a little bit more explicitly about how Dennis talks himself into doing the things he does in this movie by telling himself stories. And he's also, in turn, telling the audience a story. And you know how I mentioned earlier the narration kind of fades away as the movie goes on? Almost like that was a big part of what the movie was going to be. And then they sort of changed directions a little bit on the whole storytelling bit. But it was so integral to how the story be- – how the movie began that there's still remnants of it in there. And that's a problem. Yeah. Because I feel like these two stories do not sync up well. I feel like when they got pushed together, a lot of things got forgotten, and it didn't work. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But while he's talking to his brother, what happens to his brother? What does his brother turn into? Does he turn into the cadaver? I don't remember. I think John then turns into the storyteller, or the cadaver, sorry, and he says, I'm the one that's uh, telling your stories, or whatever they are. Yeah. Bad dreams, buddy? Yeah.
Then he wakes up again. He's freaking out. And his mirror image comes to him. And he says, I know how to stop your nightmares. Yes. We can stop them if we become smart. Now, at this point, Dennis is not aware that his reflection and the cadaver are one and the same. Which also doesn't make any sense because the cadaver will kill his mirror version several times. Mm -hmm. Which I know, I get get it's a metaphor, but your metaphors do not sync up. (laughs) The mirror version says that everyone around you has been testing your gullibility your Mm -hmm. entire life. That the rules of life are a lie. And that the first thing you need to do to prove that you're smart, that you're not gullible, that you won't fall for their lies anymore, is to break one of the rules of life by killing a cat. Yes, if you do that, they'll know that you're smarter. I thought that explanation was fascinating. That was an incredible way of, like, convincing this man, you know, almost like, hey, you're on the Truman Show. Like... Imagine what the Truman Show would have been like if he wasn't living in a TV show, if he was just a normal dude, but he still had all the same paranoias. You know, how do you prove? Have you ever done this? I've done this before. I think there's an XKCD comic about it, too, about how, like... Hello, I know you're listening. Yes. Yeah. Yes. When you're in a room alone... And you just get that paranoia like you're being watched or you're being listened. And you're like, okay, at the very least, I can prove I know they're listening. And if no one's listening, then no one knows I said that. You know, it's like the perfect crime. You do the same thing with your thoughts. Like, I know you're reading my thoughts. (laughs) You're not neurotic. Other people do this, people. (laughs) But yeah, so of course, Dennis is like, uh, what? And he's like, you've got to be brave. And so he does, but he doesn't just he kill a cat. cat. He oh. kills a bunch of cats and a bunch of dogs. Yeah, well, so what happens is he starts doing it over and over and over again. The first cat he kills is a cat that trusts him. And at first, Dennis is like, I can't do that. He trusts me. And the reflection is like, that's going to make it easier for your first time. And so, yeah, he ends up killing several animals. And they, you know, he goes from a cat to a dog. And then there's multiple different ones. And it's he's storing really them in an hard. ice box. It's really terrible. I hate whenever animals have to die. Yeah, my mom won't watch entire movies if an animal dies. If an animal dies or a kid dies or either are placed in mortal danger, she's like, nope, and she checks right out. This next part just does not make sense. And it bothers me because it's such a huge part of the rest of the film. Like, the like there are parts of this film that could not happen if this didn't happen, and they just do not make sense why it happens in the first place. All of a sudden, Dennis wants to do taxidermy. Why? Why? Yeah, it never comes back. No, it will. Oh, no, wait, hold on. It does, because he's going to, he needs to learn how to, I mean. Animate corpses. Yes, Absolutely. I understand that's a huge part of the film. Why does he do it in the first place? Because the filmmaker wanted to put that in the movie. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. I want to have this creepy thing at the end of my film. How am I going to get there? I'm going to say that he likes taxidermy. So we have this. Why? We have this fantastic explanation for why he starts killing in the first place. But no explanation for why he starts the taxidermy. Well, the mirror version tells him to. But 
Why? Right. No, that's what <laughs> the mirror. The mirror version of him doesn't give him a reason. He gives him a reason for the killing, but not a reason for the taxidermy. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say about the about this moment when the mirror is telling him about taxidermy is that now that things have escalated and this reflection is getting more power over Dennis. This is the first time that we hear the mirror talking, but we're looking at Dennis and Dennis isn't moving his lips. And things like this will continue to happen. These sort of subtle markers that the reflection is getting more powerful and being able to operate with less input from Dennis. While he's working, he has apparently gotten tapes that tell him how to do taxidermy. And his brother will come home. Find him in this extra room that he discovered before. And he's like, hey, what are you doing in there? Uh, Dennis says, you have your own office. Why can't I have mine? And Flannery's almost like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, independence. Great. Kind of like it. Yeah. But then he sees the tapes and he's like, hey, what are you doing with this stuff? I'm coming in. And Dennis lies and says, those aren't mine. Uh, They got swapped with somebody named Chuck. Yes. And uh, yeah, we got them mixed up. And since he's wearing like a tool belt and goggles, Flannery just thinks that he's learning carpentry. He's teaching himself. He's hearing banging and stuff like that. So yeah. But before he can even think more about it, the doorbell rings. So he leaves the conversation. Uh And he's like, oh, relief. These are not Dennis's tapes. He's not being weird and he's learning a new skill and he's trying, to, he, he's he's searching for his own privacy and independence. These are all fantastic things. And he goes up to answer the doorbell. And it's Lydia and she asks him to go out. So they do. And he explains that, you know, I wonder if he could get a job. This is really exciting. And you know what? This is the best I've felt in I don't know how long. And I want to tell you that I want to be a dad. And you know what? I want to be your husband. And he takes out a box and you're like, oh, Well, he does one of those feints like, oh, oh, what's that over there sort of thing. And when she turns, he puts a box on her plate. Men, if your girlfriend has been talking a lot about getting married, do not get her jewelry. Yes. Unless it is an enormous box like a necklace or yes. something. 100%. Because is, we find out it is just earrings in that box. And she is like, why on earth would you do that to me? Yeah. We were just having a conversation about getting married. And you hand me a ring-sized box? What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. And we were saying the same exact thing. If you don't want your girlfriend to break up with you, uh-huh. don't do that. So while she's getting Chris, pissed at him. If Chris had done that to me no. before he asked me i don't even know how i would have responded yeah. like i don't know how because oh I, I knew better there were times i wanted to get you jewelry and i'm like <laughs> i can't <laughs> nothing ring box size <laughs> ever anyway while she's getting mad at him we see on the tv behind her there's a documentary about spiders playing in the middle of this restaurant and about how Female spiders are independent and territorial. Cannibalistic. And cannibalistic, yes. And we know there are all these stories about certain breeds of spiders where, you know, they'll they'll eat the head. I only knew that about praying mantises. No, spiders I are the same way. I think know. black widows in particular are like this. That's why one of the reasons why they're called this. Mm. And yeah, they, so they bite the head off their mates and then use the body to feed their young. <laughs> and yes, so... But the but the male needs to like sneak up stealth like on them in order to even 
have sex in the first place, and then he dies. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, but this metaphor playing on the TV while they're having this conversation is really fucking uninspired. But then it melds. We find out that Dennis is actually the one watching this documentary at home. Yes. Which I thought was cool. It was cool. I, I was like, surprised. He does a lot of really fun camera tricks. Yeah, and there's there's it's he starts things off with ways that I mean we've used the word tropey, you know, a lot up at this point. Like some things that start out feeling kind of tropey and then he swerves somewhere new with them mm-hmm. in an exciting way. And other things that he just leaves there in tropey land. Mm-hmm. This is not one of those things. It's very interesting, in fact. And then this will switch into a dream that Dennis has about a giant spider. Yeah, there was a good portion of this film that I just didn't watch, guys. Yes, Sorry. because this giant spider <laughs> shows up, pins him to the bed, sinks its fangs into him, and then bleeds him dry, and he just shrivels into this husk. I didn't see any of that. Yeah. I think I looked for a second and saw the fangs go in, and that was terrifying enough for me. Then the cadaver shows up, and he says, I'll let you wake up if you do a job for me. I'll even give you pleasant dreams for a while, but only if you kill a child. First he says a young boy, mm-hmm. and then he says, it could be a girl, either or, as long as they're a kid. Well, that's once it turns into his mirror version. Yeah. So his mirror version is now talking to him, and he's like, hey, wait a minute, why do I have to kill a child? And yeah, that he initially said a young boy, and then he said, it could be a girl. It doesn't matter. It just needs to be a child. And he, and he tells him, that will prove that we're not stupid. And then he goes into this, like, think about it. You eat meat, right? Yeah. But what they didn't tell you is all the times you ate people you knew. Like, telling him that people are cannibals. And he just doesn't know. It's the next step in the test. Once you realize killing animals isn't bad, it soon gets clear that... All killing isn't bad. To learn killing animals is okay, they gave you you meat as a clue. You don't know how many times your meat at dinner time was someone you knew. I ate kids at dinner many times. Everybody kills little boys and girls, and they're all disappointed in you because you haven't done it. It's only a few hours until dawn. Go out and kill a kid. This is all a test. And these are rules they set up that are lies to see if you're smart enough to figure out that it's a test. Yeah, and he says that everyone's disappointed in you because you haven't done it yet. Mm Mm-hmm. And obviously Dennis has this, I don't want to call it obsession, but this feeling that he's inferior to everyone else because he has this sort of childlike mind and he he's he wants to prove. Well, it's Charlie from Flowers for Algernon. Yes, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, wants to prove that he's actually smart and capable and he's not limited by his mental capacity. So he ends up killing a bunch of kids. Yes. And after he does, he goes to the mirror and he's like, why did I do that? I don't feel any smarter. Nobody says I'm acting any smarter. I'm just as dumb as I ever was. This isn't helping me. And that's when the mirror says, 
I have to tell you a secret now. Mm-hmm. What's his secret? That he's actually the cadaver. He's the one who's been telling him the stories while he sleeps. And he says, I'm sorry they've been so scary, but what you have to know is it's just so much darker on this side of the mirror. Uh-huh. And he he says, okay, fine. You have to tell me who you are. Do you remember who he says he is? No. He says, I am Legion. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. There are many, but that's what they call me is Legion, which I don't get why that illusion is in here. I mean, is it the... Probably because Getty <laughs> thought it sounded cool. Exactly. <laughs> that's the problem. Guys, just because something is cool doesn't mean you just shove it into your movie because it cannot... It, it's so clear that you just thought it was cool. Right. Because it has nothing to do with anything else. It'll help you out a lot, especially with, you know, the phrase, kill your darlings. Mm-hmm. For any creator, killing your darlings is about... Feel free to ditch the stuff that you love. It might even be the whole reason you started this project in the first place. If it doesn't contribute to it any longer, get rid of it. Kill your darlings. Mm -hmm. You should do that for every single element of whatever it is that you're creating. Ask yourself, how is it contributing? Mm -hmm. And if its only job is to be cool (laughs) and you're not making... A movie whose only purpose is to be cool, (laughs) then cut it, kill it, get rid of it. I am Legion, gone. Mm -hmm. So Dennis uh, asks him, where is the dark place? And the mirror version at this point is no longer acting or sounding like our version of Dennis. Yeah. He now stands up straight and tall and speaks totally average. And when he asks him, where is the dark place? The mirror version says, I'm not sure. I think it's all around you. I'm not sure. But I hate it here. But you, Dennis, you would love it here. And me, I would love it in your world. Yeah. So why don't we swap? And we'll both be happy. Which, like, it's kind of like in Look Away. Yes. Let's switch places and I'll make your life better. But if you How remember. How is that going to make your life yeah, better? Because you'll have switched places and it's not your life anymore. So, I, like, yeah. So, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a bad promise. I love that Dennis finally stands his ground and says, you hurt me. You're the reason I have nightmares. Why should I help you anymore now that you've told me this? Mm-hmm. He gets into more manipulation. Do you remember what his manipulation is for why he needs to do what he needs to do? No. I will tell them what he says they need to do. They need to kill Susan. They need to start moving on to adults. And who's Susan? Susan is the woman from the ice cream shop that he likes so much. Yeah. And, of course, Dennis is like, what? Why would I do that? And the mirror version says... She thinks you're insignificant. If you killed her, she'd die screaming. She'd die in agony. But she'd die wet between the legs. Such a bizarre thing. I mean, it's not 
out of the realm of possibility for people to think that way. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about it. Is that we've seen we've seen enough ideas mm-hmm. behind serial killers that they think that the person wants what right. they're it's doing. It's just a them. natural extension of people thinking that, you know, girls want bad boys. Mm-hmm. So cut to Susan at the ice cream shop. She goes into the back because she's hearing creepy noises. Do you remember what that ends up being? A rat in a rat trap? Yeah. Unnecessary. Uh-huh. Just totally and completely unnecessary. But we get to see a rat dying in a rat trap, mm-hmm. which doesn't look real, by the way. So you kept it in for no good reason at that point. But everything, I think everything that doesn't look real still feels unsettling. I suppose. And serves its purpose that way. So when she comes back out, Dennis is in the shop. Yes. And she's like, you're hiding, are you hiding a concealed weapon or something? Because he's got something in his pocket. And that's exactly what you think he's doing. It's like under his jacket. Yeah. But no. He has a binder full of paper. And he tells her that he's keeping a journal. And when she challenges him on this, like, you know how to read? (laughs) He's like, no. (laughs) But what I've been doing is I've been asking people to write in it for me. And she thinks that's actually kind of neat. And when he asked her to do it, she said, yeah, absolutely. I'll do that for you. And he's like, you know, take a letter. And it's very cute. Yes. And he basically. But then it's not cute. Yes. He makes her write out from her perspective that her like secret desire is to go out on a date with Dennis. But you also notice that the format he uses for this letter is that of a will. Being of sound mind and body. Well, no, it's a confession. I confess. Yes, but being of sound mind and body is something you put in wills. Oh, good catch, Chris. Good catch. But it's not just sound mind and body. What is it? And hot body or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Um, She kind of looks at him funny and is like, okay. Yeah, but yeah, it's definitely awkward. And when when he's done, she goes, you're not really asking me out, are you? And he's like, yes, I am. And she's just like, well, I'm spoken for. And he goes, no, you broke up with him two weeks ago. And she goes, well, you can't just turn off feelings. And he goes, you only went out with him for a month. Yes. Okay. Men, (laughs) this is what it sounds like when you argue with somebody about whether or not they want to date you. Yep. This is what it sounds like. You're never going to win that argument. You're never going to argue them into dating you. Sometimes so stop he- fucking trying. I totally agree, but sometimes you hear about women who do yeah. like that. And that's Some women, they horrible. want you to... Fight for you? Fight, fight, fight to get into your pants. Uh-huh. But anyway, she tells him it would not work out between us. I think he leaves. He leaves, and then she goes back into the back because room she again. she hears more noises. The, the sink comes on again, which I uh-huh. think happened earlier. And it happens while she's there, too, which gives us a little bit of a hint of the supernatural. And right here is the first moment where you're just like, did that, that didn't actually happen. Yeah, did that actually happen or didn't it? But it did. Yes. I mean, how much <laughs> of this is a real demon operating in the real world? And or how much I'm of saying. this is just the way he feels about himself? I'm saying I believe that the movie will show him doing far too many things that are impossible for him to do with real consequences. It's not like we see him do this thing and then... 
later it wouldn't mm. matter if he did it or not. Well, what? these things have real consequences in the film. No, but what happens in this scene? What happens is she opens up the freezer again and out comes Dennis. He flips up to the roof. No, he flips out from within the vent. He comes out and it's completely impossible. And then she runs out into the street and gets hit by the car. And I understand that he didn't cause her to die. Uh-huh. But this is just the start of that. There he was... did come at her with a knife, though. Yes. And if you replace him coming out acrobatically with him having come in through the side window, which we saw was open, and then put gone into the freezer, and then when she opens it up, he comes out with a knife, things would have played out exactly the same way. Is what I'm saying. Why You're it doesn't about have to be literally one true. Scene. There are yeah. many more. Well, this will happen. Well, he gets more and more insane as time goes on. So, cut to Sean Patrick Flannery, who is at the Overlook restaurant. Yep. With his psychiatrist. And he's being stalked by both his girlfriend and the social worker. Yep. When he walks out, she just his girlfriend just stands there and doesn't like try to leave or anything, and he's like, uh were you following me? And she's like, no. And he's like, okay, you want to go out? And then she's like, okay. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's Dennis's birthday and they're like, anything you want to do, we're going to do it. And it's like, the day's already over. Right. Like they're just taking him out to dinner. Right. <laughs> and also they hadn't planned this, even though it was his birthday. Cause they just met accidentally at the restaurant. Yeah. Or, or there's a day jump here, and we get no indication that that's the case. I don't remember what the characters were wearing. That's possible. But anyway, so what does he want to do? He wants to go to dinner at a place called Monsoons. It's a nautical-themed family restaurant with an animatronic band. Right. Except that the lyrics aren't really kid lyrics. Which is just supposed to be weird. Like... Nobody and, mentions it. And the people it. sitting there in the, the restaurant are adults? Yeah, nobody <laughs> nobody comments on this stuff. It's just supposed to feel odd. I suppose. Because, you know, animatronics, old school family restaurant animatronics are creepy. this wasn't a family restaurant. All that was there were adults. I mean, maybe there was like one group with kids. The but waiters like, are dressed up like they're sailors. It's absolutely a family restaurant. They I recognize guess. him when he comes in. Yes, but I don't know why... Like I said, like they're singing, they're not singing about kid stuff. Uh huh. They're singing about relationships. Again, it's supposed to be unsettling. And Dennis, apparently for the first time, asks how the animatronics move like that. And John, Sean Patrick Flannery, explains it to him. He's like, these are actually really basic ones. It just involves a series of spinning discs where the, the axis where, that they spin on is off center. And and pulleys are wrapped around them. So as it spins around, it pulls the pulley rope up and down, giving the impression that these animatronics are moving on their own when they're he, actually not. He specifically asks, how do they make all eight of the octopus's arms move? Yes. That, by the way, was made by Getty himself. There you go. Which is really interesting. But... I think we can all see where that's going. What else has eight legs that we've been hearing a lot about? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, he excuses himself to the restroom. And immediately, first thing he does is open up a stall and kill a guy inside. Now, this we can pretty much believe does not actually happen. Because 
I mean, he, as soon as he does it, he comes out and he talks to the mirror and he's like, oh my God, you didn't have to talk me into that one. Why did I do that? Yeah. The mirror's response is that you have to up your dosage now that you've become addicted um, and you need some stronger shit. Let's kill uh, Lydia. Now, notice something here. So at first, the demon only appeared in that one specific mirror. Then he appeared in any mirror in the house. This is the first time we're seeing him in a mirror outside of the house. And it's also the first time we see both parts of the conversation in the mirror without cuts. Where we're just looking in the mirror and we see the demon talk and then Dennis talk. And then the demon talk and Dennis without cutting perspectives. Mm -hmm. Again, reinforcing the fact that this demon is getting stronger and that the the line between demon and Dennis is getting blurred. Yes. And but why I say it doesn't really seem like this actually happened is because do, I, I didn't write it down, apparently. But I feel like we get to see him, like, covered in blood. And then he's just not. There's blood everywhere. Yeah. And his hands are bloody. Which wouldn't make sense he if he's in a off. restaurant, yeah. you know? And, and they're able to leave without incident and all that stuff. I mean, that's the thing. He's killing a lot of people. And this is part of what makes this sort of world unsettling is that all these deaths happen almost without incident. Until yes. the end of the movie when somebody actually finally starts commenting on it. But he's killing tons of people by this point. And... There's no news reports. There's no nothing about any of this. Subsequently, this scene in the bathroom ends with the demon reaching out of the mirror and grabbing Dennis. So now he's coming into physical contact with him for the first time. So Dennis tells the mirror version, I think you're tricking me. Mm -hmm. I think you've had this planned all along. But guess what? You can't trick me anymore. You're still going to have to do everything I say because I control your dreams. I can handle the nightmares. You haven't yet had a nightmare. I won't do it. You're getting real close. I can smell your soul getting ripe. I won't do it. Oh, you'll do it, retard. Or I'll find another retard. And he'll do it to you. And so he goes outside and things have not stopped getting weird. Dead Susan is outside. Yep. Talking about how hot she thinks he is. Uh-huh. And she's, like, showing off her body and everything. But then... She, like, drops all of her clothes and then, like, she talks about how all the flesh on the outside is beautiful, but inside she's just mush. And then her body just collapses to the floor mm -hmm. like she has no bones. And then it gets up and spider, like, crab spider walks upside down, but the head's tilted around. Yeah. And... It's very unsettling. It is. I wrote the spider walk is intense because everything around them really darkens. And there's like a spotlight on this spider that's walking towards, but it's a human spider, a spider made out of human body. Yes, it is. It is very creepy, cool and unsettling. Yes. But obviously this demon is getting stronger and stronger. He's having more of, of an effect outside of the mirror, outside of the house. He can physically interact with Dennis, and he's starting to affect his dreams while Dennis is awake. Well, we don't know that he's awake because the next thing that happens is he wakes up. Yeah. We don't know if any of that actually happened. Yes. 
if it didn't happen, then it undercuts the really cool effect of, you know, one more step on this stairway towards like the progression of the demon's power. That's really a subtle element of the movie that I really appreciated. And if it undercuts that, that would be unfortunate. Yeah, I think he needed to be a lot more clear with what was real and what was not. Because it detracts from my understanding of the fucking film. I mean, there's a place for that. And the movie is very dreamlike and not, you know. Right. And if you want it to just be a dream, uh that's fine. But But it undercuts other elements of of itself. Your ending makes this not all a dream. And so you made that decision. You Uh should have made it more clear cut what was actually happening and what was not. I understand that the character is confused. And I understand that you kind of want us to see things from his confused perspective. But you don't get to do that if you're going to constantly cut to other people's perspectives. Yeah. If you want to just make it from one crazy person's perspective and make the whole thing a question of did this really happen, Mm -hmm. that's fine. But the world really is weird and it's going to get, I mean, we know outside of Dennis's perspective, like you say, because Lydia and John are about to have a very weird day. Well, when he wakes up, when Dennis wakes up, he realizes that he can no longer tell the difference between his dreams and reality. Yeah. And so he decides, I'm going to stay awake from now on. Uh-huh. You can't control me if I'm not sleeping. And he just, like, stands up and shuffles around sort of mini dances. Well, first he paints his mirror black. Uh-huh. Then he tries to watch TV, but he starts to talk to him through the television. Uh-huh. Then he decides to run in place all night long, yeah. which he does. And, and John then- comes down and is like, hey, have you been up all night? And he's like, no, I just woke up. And he's like, oh, God, you need a bath. <laughs> And then we get a weird moment where now Flannery can't tell the difference between reality. This is what I'm saying. The world legitimately is getting weirder. Outside of Dennis's perception. So after we see that scene where Flannery tells him to take a bath, he's then in bed again. And Lydia's like, or he says, oh, we slept in. And Lydia's like, no, we didn't. You already got up and you told Dennis to take a bath. And And he's he's like, like, no, that didn't happen. No, I didn't. That was, yeah, that didn't happen. And so it's, okay, now how much of this is shared delusion? And it really, really does blur the lines. And like we say, there is a place for that in movies. And this movie does that sort of well of not being able to tell what's supposed to be happening in the real world of this movie and what's not. But it does undermine other elements of the film. And so they go out to lunch. Because it's late now. It's already lunchtime. They go out to lunch and they go to the Overlook again. Well, before they go to the Overlook, where do they go? Oh, they go to the ice cream store shop. Yeah. and Because they're going to get coffee at the ice cream shop. Yes, which is weird. They just need an excuse. Ice cream shops sell coffee. I know. But of all the places you could go. So they go there and John says, hey, Susan. He's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, I'm not Susan. And John's like, oh, I'm sorry. They ask about it. And she's just filling in for Susan. Oh, is she okay? You didn't hear? Susan's dead, man. Yeah. Like, what happened? It's a car accident. She got hit by a car. Which, by the way, we didn't comment on it. But it's not exactly meet Joe Black level of... It's filmed in the same way. (laughs) She doesn't get hit twice. She only gets hit once. But it's very stuttery, like it's missing frames. It's not very smooth. Camera tricks. But this is supposed to have really happened. Yes. They're like, oh my god, <laughs> this is horrible. 
So they go to lunch. Yes, yeah, so they go to lunch at the Overlook. And, and as they're having lunch. They have the stupidest. Do you know how they've realized that people are being murdered? Not because the news tells them. Not because people they know are actually dying. But because when they drove around town, they didn't they recognize didn't anybody. See anybody they knew? Yes, and so there is no implication that these people live in a small town. No, they live in L.A. Yeah, <laughs> who expects to drive around L.A. and see people they know? Right. But, like, the waiter is a different person than the waiter that they're used to. Susan isn't there. And, like, that's the kind of stuff that they're putting together. And that's when John sees the back of his therapist sitting at their table. And he's like, oh, shit. Forgot about my therapy session. I need to do this every day now. He's doing this for free. Shit. I got to go over there. And he touches him on the back. And then the therapist stands up but keeps standing up. Is very, very tall. This is Matthew McGrory. I've seen him in something. Yes, you have. Uh, he's been in Bubble Boy, House of a Thousand Corpses. Never seen it. Big Fish. Hate that movie, but I do remember him in it. Yep. The Devil's Rejects. Only saw part of it. <laughs> but yes, you know him. This is the last film role that he ever had. Oh. Yeah. Uh, he passed away in 2005. But yeah, he was seven foot six in his very large, very large hands. And he turns on John and grabs him and is upset, but like, what? What do you want to say? I'm in the mood to vent. And you called me at a hell of a time. But go ahead. Ask me the question. Ask me what everyone fucking asks me. We fucking men every very fucking day. Why do you look like that? What's wrong with you? You want to know what's wrong with me? Nothing. I'm just dandy. Until, of course, some asshole like you comes along and ruins my damn good time. Terribly sorry, sir. He gets out of his grip and goes back to Lydia. And Lydia's like, oh, my God, the hell was that? And they're both really shaken at this point because nobody is who they're supposed to be. They're all people that sort of kind of look like them, but are different. And this is why I th this is the weird day that I'm talking about that they're going to have. And as they're driving home, John sees, ah, ha, 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 that's somebody we know. Pete, he sees. And so they stop to talk to Pete. So what's happening at home, meanwhile? Dennis somehow finds a gun. <laughs> and he, he does the whole fight club thing. I'm going to kill myself so that I kill both of us. Mm -hmm. So that you can't do any more damage. Because he's been killing a ton of people, apparently. Yes. And... This is when the mirror version will push him into the mirror. Yes. And so now they've switched places. Meanwhile, the social worker and the cops have shown up. One of the cops, by the way, is one of the Sklar brothers, which we will need for a moment later. They're a stand-up comedian pair. They're twins. They also are heavily involved in, like, the sports world and stuff like that. Like, they had a show on ESPN. Their first podcast, Sklarbro County, is, is like, a sports comedy podcast. But I remember them for they had, a, like, a Comedy Central special or something like that way back in the day. But, yes, they show up to retrieve Dennis and take him away from John. Again, we don't know specifically what allows this social worker to cross this, this threshold. Well, also... 
they full on say, we don't have a search warrant. And she says, well, then just look at what's available. In, in plain and, sight. And yeah. You still can't do that. No, that's what if 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 you're not locked out, if the door is unlocked, that's why one of the reasons why you need to take steps, depending on where you are, what the local laws are. If you're not taking steps to actively protect your home, then the definition of what constitutes trespassing changes. Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, the door was open. You can enter. But you can't take anything as evidence that you can't see clearly mm-hmm. out in the open. And so that's basically what she tells them. And this is when Dennis will do another impossible thing. Mm-hmm. The, the officers are wandering around looking around and they walk into the room that has the mirror in it. And he will come out of the mirror as and the mirror them. reflection of that first cop, which again is possible because they're twins. Cool, but this is one of those things. This has an actual consequence. These police officers, that woman, the social worker, they are dead, and we know that mm. because they never show up again un- until we see a dead version of the yes. woman. So, like, they're. They're dead. And so, like... I'm not saying he can't have killed them. Right. I'm just saying it didn't necessarily happen the way we saw on screen. I guess. But it just... I don't know why I'm always the one taking this position. (laughs) I just think it's interesting to think about it from that perspective. I don't have a hard stance on this kind of stuff. But do I have a hard stance on whether or not it's possible? (laughs) Yes. So, yes, he ends up killing both of the police officers and the social worker. Meanwhile, Lydia and John are still having a conversation where Lydia pulls out of her ass that she thinks Dennis is killing people. She has zero reason to think this at this point. She literally starts this conversation out by saying, I'm worried. We haven't been seeing a lot of people and Dennis has been acting weird. Like she thinks he's killing people. Yeah. But but I th- I feel like she says something to the effect of it's a it's a conversation worth having. Not that she believes that it's the case, just that it's worth considering. I'm just saying all these scenes between Lydia and John, it just. Oh, but Pete is so good. <laughs> okay. Fucking but, love Pete. Okay, but so they're having this conversation while they're driving, and then they do. They see Pete, somebody they know, and they stop to say hello to him because, oh my god, we're in the twilight zone. We've been driving around, and none of our friends are out walking. Uh-huh. Because we're driving, but our friends, they all walk, and we should be able to see them on the sidewalk. And <laughs> if we don't, that clearly means Get over they Kelsey. are dead. <laughs> Get over and it. And murdered all by Dennis. Like, see, I mean it when I say this is a not as skillful, but still very interesting version of what it would be like if Michelle Gondry and David Lynch were like the same director. And weird shit, people act in weird ways. Think of any conversation you have ever heard anyone have in a David Lynch movie. And tell me that that's, that that's not the same thing. You're gonna have to get over the fact that people have weird conversations. But so they see this dude who randomly has Dennis's books. <laughs> yes, because I think because he, 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 works in the, he works in the shop or something like that. He's not Chuck. The guy that Dennis said he swapped the tapes with. 
he does confirm, however, that he has more tapes for Dennis. And when Sean Patrick Flannery talks about how, oh, yeah, he got them mixed up with Chuck's tapes. Well, Pete that must have been scary. Yeah. Seeing what Chuck's reading. Exactly. We never find out what Chuck's actually reading. Nope. It's so good. But and, and Sean Patrick Flannery's like, oh, oh, so they did get their tapes mi- mixed up. That confirms Dennis's story. It means he is really learning carpentry, <laughs> which is something that John jumped to and now feels like he's confirmed at this point just because that part of the story was confirmed. And he's so happy and he goes back to Lydia to tell Lydia this. I think this is when Flannery will be like, I do want to marry you. I'm going to put him in a hospital. We're going to do it. Lydia is questioning why John can't just put him in a hospital. What is the problem? What do you think you owe him? Because that's something that he specifically says. I owe him my life. What does that mean? Why? And he lies and he's got this tell, which we found out about earlier from, from the, the therapist. Doctor. Yeah. And it always ha- it always comes up when he's talking about Dennis. So again, hiding something about Dennis. But she pushes him and he ends up telling her the story. You want to tell what, what his story is? When they were kids, Dennis was a genius, a child prodigy. He could do so many things, reinforcing things we learn about how Dennis is actually smart and resourceful. But he is mentally handicapped, though. But here's where we're finding out how that happened. He wasn't always that way, except for the fact that when they were young, John and Dennis got into an argument. Was it was it about how much attention they were getting or something that like that? That doesn't come up yet. Okay. He, he Flannery specifically says he doesn't remember what the argument right. was about. He tells the story that they were in a fight at the top of the stairs. He punches his brother in the face and he goes down the stairs. And when they get him up, he's lost it. So this is the story as John remembers it. And it really moves Lydia. She finally gets why John has given up his entire life, his relationships, his career, his money, to take care of Dennis. Because he feels responsible for something he did as a stupid kid who got into an argument and it was just an accident. And she's like, you know what? I would like to basically share that burden with you. It's it's moved me, this story. I love you. I will share that burden with you. Now that I finally understand it, I'd be more than happy to move in with you and Dennis, which means we can actually get married. So I'm going to go home and get Dennis to take him to Monsoons. You meet us there. <laughs> it's, it's just a There's way, no reason for this to happen. It's just a way to get her there without Flannery there. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> while she does that, Pete gets up and sits down with John and talks to him now about the tapes and they're talking a little bit more and it comes out that yes, Dennis and Chuck got their tapes mixed up, their books on tape mixed up, but yes, that ultimately the, the books about taxidermy and stuff were Dennis's books. Anybody freak when they found out what Dennis has been reading about. Well, I haven't yet found out what Dennis has been reading about. I know what Chuck's been reading. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah, that's creepy. Why? What, is, what, what has Dennis been reading? Well, books on forensics and taxidermy. That's that's Chuck. No, that's Dennis. Yeah, it's an acquired taste. 
Don't worry about that smell in your basement. It's dead animals. And so we again, we never find out what the weird books that Chuck got right because were. Pete confirms. Oh yeah, that would have been scary to think that he was reading what Chuck's reading. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, and, he, and he's like, but oh yeah, well, all that shit about taxidermy and everything. And Pete's like, no, 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 those were. Dennis's books. Yeah, and he says, I understand. It's got to be a little bit weird for you. Don't worry about that smell because Flannery said something about a bad smell. He's like, don't uh, worry about that smell. That's just dead animals. Yes, it's just dead animals. <laughs> and that's when Flannery goes, Pete, call the cops. <laughs> Pete's like, I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, you got to call the cops. I don't want to. He says, send them to my house. There's a crime in progress. Yes. So cut to Lydia. Oh, by the way. By the way, this whole time, Pete's wearing, like, a coat, a jacket over his shirt, and I think his shirt says fuck you on it. (laughs) For no good reason. It's chef's kiss. Just perfect. I love Pete. He's my favorite fucking character in this movie. So cut to Lydia, who's walking inside, and she hears a baby crying. She will walk up to a pram, and she will see... Baby Dennis, who then will turn into a, a regular human right. being. He pops her. out of this carriage, his whole body out of it, as if he was hiding underneath and it was really just his face. But again, you can interpret it however you want. And but then Either way, he kills her. She'll walk away as if nothing happened. And then you see that, oh, no, she's been stabbed. And this is what I wrote. It's magic, man. That's what I'm saying. He's, it's adrenaline. I guess it he had stabbed her his, right then. That's could, something that implies that what we're seeing isn't necessarily what's happening. But if so, you want to have an unreliable narrator, you need to keep us in his narrative world. I, I don't think so. We're talking about a world. Again, I think this movie is supposed to be dreamlike. We're supposed to not be able to tell sometimes what's real and what's not. The downside of that is that it undermines other elements of the film. I do understand that it's not perfect and it's not a hand-wavy excuse for absolutely everything. But this is one of the things that it explains. We're not supposed to either always be in this dream world or always be in reality. There's supposed to be some confusion about which one we're in. It causes anxiety in the characters in the movie and in the audience. It's supposed to be unsettling and we are supposed to be unsettled. But yes, ultimately, we find out that she is stabbed and she's dying. Sean Patrick Flannery shows up. Yes. And he walks in. I don't know if, like, they're, are they in the basement? I have no I idea I think they, they, he go, they go down to the basement or whatever. He walks in and he can't find anybody or anything except for a chair in a spotlight. And he kind of giggles and was like, I guess I'm sitting. Oh, he oh. finally gets to learn what the thing is that Dennis has That's been building right. this whole Dennis time. Dennis tells him, we've got something to show you. Uh-huh. And he's saying that him and Lydia are going to do like a show for him. Yeah, so he sits down in the chair and a spotlight comes on and Dennis and Lydia are doing this fake ventriloquist act. And John is really into it. He doesn't realize yet that Lydia is dead. Yeah. He thinks this is just a fun thing that they organized together secretly this whole time, and they're surprising him with it now. And what happens next is basically Dennis is going... So Dennis has used the technology that Flannery told him about at Monsoons. Yes. About how to make... Simple animatronics. Simple animatronics. And this part is really creepy, cool, and fun. I really like this. I like all these weird things that he did, but unfortunately, that's not the whole movie. 
Yes, so. it's just the end of the movie. <laughs> Long story short, what he ends up revealing on the stage is the story as he understands it. As Dennis understands it. It's all these neuroses that he has and these paranoias about the way other people think about him that have now come to the surface. And he tells the story of what really happened when they were kids. According to Dennis, one night when they were going to bed, John prayed to God to forgive him for what he was about to do, but he couldn't stop himself because his brother takes up all his parents' attention and mommy only loves John and I've got to do something about it. So, and he's just so smart, so how can I stop him from being so smart? I can hit him on the head with a baseball bat and then push him down the stairs and pretend like it was an accident. We have the doctor that comes out at this point, the therapist. He apparently killed him, Who too. has also been killed at some point in this movie. Which we know because he's one of the people that disappeared and were replaced by something stranger. Exactly. And we didn't mention the fact that when Flannery was telling Lydia the story of what happened, mm -hmm. he said, even my psychiatrist was impressed by my brother. And that's how you find out that they've known him all their lives. And that's why the doctor was always like, no, no. We need to talk about your brother. Yes. Your brother is the real problem here, and we need to talk about that. And that's what he was talking about was the fact that he thinks that he hit him over the head on purpose. Because, according to Dennis's reenactment, mm -hmm. when the doctor looked at him, he said there's no way this could have happened from a punch and a fall down the stairs. Yeah. These injuries could not have happened in the fall. Aha! The jealous older brother, he's the victim of an attack. But again, we are having these two conflicting narratives, and we don't necessarily know where the actual truth lies. We just know that there's a conflict between what Dennis thinks and what John is willing to tell himself. Exactly. Well put, honey. During this, of course, John starts to get very upset, but he realizes he's been glued to the chair. I mean, it doesn't, it, it's nothing gross. He's just, his arm is stuck to the leather of the chair, and eventually he's going to rip himself free, and it doesn't, like, tear his skin off or anything like that. It's nothing over the top and gross. It just keeps him in that position, and he just has to sit through this macabre act and realize that his fiance is dead. Dead. Yes, he realizes that when he's yelling at Dennis to tell telling him, let me go. And Dennis is no longer speaking like he has been. Now he's speaking like mirror version. Uh -huh. And now he's super evil. And he has Lydia turn to him and asks, but how can you cope, Dennis? And he says, well, you learn to think like a spider. And that's when John realizes that she's dead. And it is creepy. Yes. So we know, we saw him earlier. He cuts into the back of her head and like other places. He makes like a blowhole. He drills holes in her head, puts a fire extinguisher in and then blows it, just clearing out all the space in her head so he can use it like a like a puppet. It's like her eyes are moving independently of each other. Well, they're not and, real eyes anymore. Yeah, uh-huh. I gotta say, that would have been creepy in itself. And I yeah. wish that he had taken more time with that. Yeah. Because the idea of a person actually using a human being as a ventriloquist dummy is terrifying. And so out comes this animatronic spider. With the head of the... Social worker. Yes. And these spider legs that are made out of the limbs of all the people he's killed all this time. Like multiple limbs 
connected together to make the eight legs of this spider. And it's operating just like the octopus in the band at Monsoon's. And she keeps going back and forth to cut off all of her strings. And it's terrifying. Oh, it's so cool. (laughs) And then uh, she's walking towards him in a bunch of creepy shit happens and he's just freaking the fuck out and he just shoots himself. Yes, so he's, he, he manages... Where did he get the gun? He had the gun from earlier. Because Dennis was going to shoot himself? Yeah, I, th- I think that's the the gun that Dennis grabbed. The gun just magically appears when you No, they it. show him find it oh. as he's going through the house and he grabs it for protection. And then he has it in his hand when his the whole time his arms are glued to the chair. And he finally pulls him off and instead of killing Dennis... Realizing that his whole life is ruined and maybe coming to grips with what he really did as a child and the enormity of his responsibility. Yes, he does shoot himself in the head. And it's at this moment that the spider turns on Dennis now. And it jumps on him, slams him to the ground. And it's that moment when the spider slams him to the ground that... We find out it's actually cops mm-hmm. slamming him to the ground. Again, yes. blurring this line between what Dennis perceives and what reality is. Yeah, and when they take him out, it's too dark to tell like if any of that stuff actually happened. Yeah, how much of that in the real world that the cops are in, mm-hmm. how much of that really happened. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. I don't, we don't even see Sean Patrick Flannery. Yes. Anywhere. But it ends with him sitting in a cell uh, in a mental institution, and he's like, the doctors say I'm insane, but that isn't true. This isn't me. Don't understand any of that. Well, Dennis is still trapped. But that's not Dennis's voice. That's my point. That's the mirror version's voice. Yes. (laughs) That's my point. (laughs) This is very confused, and it doesn't know what it's actually trying to get across. Mm And then it basically ends with all I can hope for is that the ride will end. So I guess he's just hoping for death. Yeah. Well, it's going back to that. It's referencing the beginning when they say, how do you know that the ride's over and that this isn't all part of this dream horror fair ride, which was fun, if a little predictable. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. There isn't much about this movie where it's like that was there. There are these moments, but not much of it is like. I'm very impressed with this on the level that it's a movie. It's premise and its execution are very, very interesting. The exploitation factor of it is a little gross. And some things you have to ask yourself, is this weird for weirdness sake? Is there a point to the weirdness? How much of this weirdness is just bad filmmaking and acting? Mm-hmm. And they're just lying, relying on weirdness as a crutch. Mm-hmm. You don't really know. Mm-hmm. That's a big problem. Well, that's me. why I said at the end of this movie, I said, I don't know if that movie was actually any good. What I do know is that I thoroughly enjoyed it. And Kelsey said it's very weird that she felt the opposite. She felt that the movie was better in quality than the amount that she enjoyed it. Yes. And so we kind of, like, flip-flop there. She didn't enjoy it so much because it was uncomfortable, right? Like, you just... No, I didn't enjoy it because of the awful scenes with Flannery and Lydia. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't like the parts that the director didn't like. I did. Ugh. But the reason I think that this movie is good, and I I think, now that I'm thinking about it, what I meant by that was 
I thought this movie had tons of potential. And I think it's good in that this guy clearly didn't give a flying fuck what anybody thought. And he wanted to make his movie. And yeah. I like that. And he just happened to have the resources because he comes from a billionaire money. family. Yes. But like he had really cool ideas. Yes. And really fun ideas and really creepy ideas. And he did interesting things with his camera. And his main actor did the best that he could with the script that he was given. And so I saw a lot of talent. Yes. A lot Unfortunately, of, it was not realized. Yes, sure. That's what I mean when I say that I think it was a good movie because it had a lot of potential inside of it. But I was very much enthralled the entire movie. It had my attention the entire time. I was surprised, not necessarily by like, oh, I can't believe this is a thing in a movie, but like the way they pulled things off, the freeness that was required in order to make this was very... Impressive. Like you say, he didn't give a flying fuck what other people thought, mm-hmm. what other people wanted. This was his movie that he was going to make, whether it took him 15 years to complete or not. Uh, and it did. And he died before it ever was completed, which is unfortunate. But what do you think the rest of the world thought about this movie, Kelsey? What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? With, again, the understanding that there are only five reviews, meaning it has to be a multiple of 20. I actually already know. What is it? It's about 100%. It is 100%. Which is way overrated and bullshit. Which, okay. <laughs> Again, just means that five reviewers- People liked it. I understand. Walked away with at least liking it more than they disliked it. That's all that means. Right. It means it is consistent insofar as people, reviewers walk away from this movie liking it more than they dislike it. Total of five. That's all that means. Total of five. Right. <laughs> Right. We have no idea what the Metacritic would be. There is no Metacritic even entry for this movie, which is disappointing. So, unfortunately, all we have to go on on our comparison here between us and the critics is just this 100% Rotten Tomato score, which is not certified fresh because there are not enough reviews to make that 100% actually mean anything significant. So, yes, 100% is overrated. Yeah, if I didn't give 100% to Poltergeist, yeah, your movie ain't getting shit. (laughs) Right. So what would you give it? I'm going to give it a 65. Really? You think that's too low? I think that's too low. I'm going to give this like high 70s. I just can't. I think 78. It bothers me more than anything that it, like, I think what makes me more upset about anything is the fact that you can just tell. You can just feel it when you're watching this movie. Whenever Dennis isn't on screen, director was just like, fuck today. Fuck it. <laughs> no, you're not trying today. Sure. Like, there's just nothing going on. And it's just like, this is torture. Get me out of the scene. And they aren't long scenes, guys. They're short scenes. But just those few minutes are just like, get back to Dennis. Uh-huh. That's all the director cared about. That's all I care about. Yeah, I think, I mean, setting aside the fact that there are definitely flaws in execution, I think this is an ambitious movie. That's the result of somebody's obsession. And it's very obvious that that's the case. But that makes it very, very compelling. And I think you could find that out after the fact and go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. 
I'm very surprised I had no idea this movie existed. I think more people should be aware of this movie. I knew this movie existed before Bob told me about it. I feel like I've seen that cover somewhere before. When I saw the trailer for this, which was a couple years ago, so I don't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. From what I remember, it was a lot of that first dream sequence, which is super fucking dope. Uh And of course, they're going to put that in the trailer. Yeah, this movie is bookended with just incredible sequences. One where you see practically nothing, and one where you see lots of wondrous and terrible things. Mm-hmm. And that's incredible. And they're both creepy as fuck. Yeah. Proving that you can do full ball monsters, you can see them, and that can be terrifying. Mm-hmm. And you can also have pretty much nothing happen and be terrifying. I just think it's unfortunate that we don't get to see the completed version from Getty's point of view. Because he died too soon. And we don't get to see what he would have done next. Yeah, I feel like maybe if he had had more time. But he had a lot of time. Well, we don't know how much of that time was spent in rehab. How much of that time was just being high. How much of that time was not spent working on this movie at all. Who knows? He might have put it in his basement and not worked on it for five years at a time. So we don't know that that it took him 15 years. It was just 15 years from production to release so yeah and and who knows maybe what would have come next would have been a sophomore slump if he had the support of people going wow you have a very unique vision and then people are like we want to be involved with what you're making next and you know who knows what that would have resulted in or maybe it would be one of those things where he writes one thing makes one movie and then never does anything else again you know like those hermit authors Mm mm-hmm Finding Forrester. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) You're the man now, dog. (laughs) All right. That is uh, this week. So thank you very much, Linda, for Bad Ronald and Bob for The Evil Within. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week, we're going to continue with sequels. Sequels? I know a lot of movies were already on the third. Yes. So we got to catch up. There's a lot of series that we haven't even gotten to the sequel yet. (laughs) We got to catch up on some movies. So next week, we are watching Aliens and Alien Covenant. Yes. So we're almost rounding out our Alien movie collection. So excited for that. There's two more. I know, but we're like... Are we not going to watch the We've, we've done the first two, and we will have done the last two at this point. So, like, we're closing in on it. Because nobody gives a shit about three and four. I am curious about three simply because it's Fincher's like Alan Smithy project. Wait, have you never seen it? You know, I have seen it. I'm just saying like that's what fascinates me about it is it's his first like, you know, he did like music videos and stuff like that. That's the one with Winona Ryder or is that four? Yeah, that's Resurrection. Is three where she shaves her head? She gets her head shaved. Okay. Yeah. By the the monks in space? In prison in space. <laughs> oh, they're not monks anymore. That's right. That was in the original script. And then they turned into prisoners. And it, it's the it's the movie with that iconic scene that when you think about Ripley and, and the alien, you think about certain moments. And one of those moments is in two, which were aliens, which we're going to see, which yeah. is if get away from her, the... you bitch. Oh. The other one is her... when the face comes right up next that's to Ripley. Three? That's in three. Oh, <laughs> So, yeah, 
Three has some good stuff going for it. It's just not all of Fincher's vision. And then he would kind of clam up in future movies. And he's like, no, I'm not fucking taking notes anymore. And he, I'm just going to make the movie I want to make, which is kind of like Getty, you know, mm-hmm. and he had the resources to do it. That guy. But yes, we're not, we're not actually watching three. I'm just talking about how excited I am to like finish off the alien series. So aliens, which I am in the camp. The alien is better than aliens. I like them both. Kelsey's in the aliens camp, I think. Yes. I like them both, but I think aliens is better. Yeah. And it's just, it just depends what kind of movie you like. Aliens has like space Marines and it's a little more action oriented. It's kind of like the difference between Terminator and Terminator 2. Honestly, I think it's just because aliens and Terminator 2 were on TV a lot more. Yeah. Or my dad would turn those on a lot. Larger part of your youth. I saw those all the time as a kid. I've seen aliens. And Terminator 2, a lot. <laughs> I just like the reduced cast. Nobody has a gun in the first one. This, these people are not here to take on the aliens. You know, it's not like that. And I appreciate that sort of claustrophobia and realness to it. That this one doesn't have as much of. But it expands on the lore greatly. It expands on the characterization of Ripley greatly. It introduces new factors about the alien species, which are incredibly interesting. So, yeah, Aliens, very, very good. Very excited we're going to get to watch that. And Alien Covenant, I've only seen once. I feel like it wasn't as bad as people say it is, but it's a continuation of a part of the series that people didn't want anymore. It couldn't have been that good. We exactly. only saw it the once. Right. So it couldn't have been that good. It tries to be a little more alien-like while at the same time retaining the Prometheus quality. You know, it, tr- it compromises between those two visions, which is, no, this is not called Alien Prometheus. It's just called Prometheus. It's this weird sort of like soft reboot kind of And now they're like, oh, well, that didn't work. People didn't like that. So we got to make it more (laughs) alien-like. And that compromise, I think, didn't serve it well. They should have committed one way or the other. And yeah, but we'll get get into that. We'll watch both of them. That's next week. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, where you can get a list of every movie we've ever covered, our entire backlog, all in alphabetical order. If you have episodes you missed out on and you want to hear more, that's the best way to browse our catalog. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter where we put up tons of extra multimedia stuff, commentary on things we say in the episode, corrections for things we get wrong. So if you're one of those people that thinks we get things wrong and you're not following us on Twitter, then you can fuck right off. (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Rating and reviewing in that podcatcher is a huge help. Five star written reviews being the best way you can help us there. Bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? And there it is. The snow-capped summit in the topography of juvenile taste. The wonderful haunted house ride. I don't in a big cemetery I don't want to live my life
addicted to the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape More loose and fangs that are picking up Thanks, Mom. Dinner was delicious. You know how much I love cake. Think about why she got involved in it in the very beginning. No remem- no memories? No memories why this person Memories? Wanted- uh, honestly, every scene between him and the chick from St- Super Troopers, Starship Troopers. <laughs> oh, um, 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 um. But he realizes he's been glued to the chair, which I don't think would really work. Would that work? Sure. Really? Yeah. That would work? Yeah, sure. Huh. I know they do that in uh, Get out. Sister Act 2, <laughs> oh, sister. but, you know, it's Sister Act 2. <laughs> anyway. That's the ending that we know. I had forgotten that. <laughs> so that sucks. Just reminded me of an ending. We just talked about how we had the ending ruined for us, like, last week. You're the man now, dog. Okay. <laughs>